Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Clutch Conversations. It's your boy, Mike. We back at you one more again. No, we're not live tonight. Tonight is a pre-recorded episode. We recorded this um, a few days earlier this week, but definitely appreciate everybody sliding through to check out the premiere of this episode. First and foremost, shout out to my lovely wife, Takara. Really appreciate everything you do. Appreciate you holding the team down in general. Y'all definitely make sure y'all show us some love in the comments. Uh, definitely don't stop there though. Show the channel some love. Hit this like button, hit that subscribe button, and hook smash that notification bell so you can get notifications each and every time we drop a video here on the channel. Shout out to the audio only gang as well. Appreciate all the love y'all showing us there on all the audio platforms. As you know, Clutch Conversations is available on all major podcasting platforms. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Definitely make sure and check us out. And when you're checking us out on your favorite podcasting platform, please be sure to follow, rate, and leave us a review. We really appreciate the support. Really appreciate the feedback. Speaking of support, if you're involved in this reptile hobby in any shape, form, or fashion, make sure you're supporting US Art and US Art of Florida. The link for both of those organizations are in the description of this video. Definitely make sure you support those organizations because they help protect our rights as reptile keepers. If you're able to donate, donate. If you got a membership, definitely make sure you renew your, your membership and make sure you spread the word, man. We need everybody who are involved in this reptile hobby, like I say, in any shape, form, or fashion to definitely be supporting both U.S. Art and U.S. Art Florida. I'm going to take a quick second to show some love to the sponsors, the homie Shane, the homie Justin. Really appreciate the support. We're going to kick this sponsor video, kick this intro, and then we're going to get into tonight's show. We got George from George MD Reptiles. So really looking forward to that. And I can tell you, it's going to be a blast. So make sure you stick around and check it out. Big dreams start in small towns. Small Town Exotics is a family-ran business that specializes in high-quality ball python morphs, western hog noses, and select leopard geckos. They are proud members of US Art, US Art Florida, and the Orient Society. Stay connected with Small Town Exotics on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Witness their journey as they grow their business and showcase their animals to the world. Thank you, Small Town Exotics, for sponsoring the show.
Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? I'm doing good, man. How you doing, Mike? Good, good, good. good. Glad to have you here. Glad we could uh, finally work out the scheduling and whatnot. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I was looking forward to this, and it's been tough because we're both pretty busy in our own way. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. How's your weekend going? Pretty good. You know, usual weekend. I uh, work my regular job, and then most of the day <clears throat> today was spent in the reptile building cleaning cages and still kind of unwinding a little bit from Daytona and organizing a little bit because, you know, as we sell animals, we're always still shuffling things around. So still kind of getting everything. Usually that weekend after Daytona, everything's back to normal, you know. So, um, but yeah, that was it. Just cleaning and going through some clutches. We had some, some more stuff hatch out while we were gone. So we're putting those babies up and just kind of preparing for more that are coming. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty busy day. And tomorrow will be the same. Nice, nice. Yeah, I know getting back last weekend. So we got back Sunday. We left we left Sunday afternoon, got back probably around, I don't know, let's let's say three, four, something like that. But anyway, uh getting back and just kind of getting back into the groove of things and like getting the cleaning done, getting the rodents yep. clean and all that, and just kind yep. of like catching up. Like I had a great time in Daytona and, and I do it every weekend if I could. <laughs> but uh <laughs> you do have to get back into the routine and just yep. like kind of like get things going back how like they normally go. And so, yep. yeah, we definitely had a lot of work when we got back. Yeah. Same here, man. It's like, it's the, it's so much fun being there and hanging out with everybody, but that drive back home, once you get to that certain point past the ocean center for me, I'm only 45 minutes away, but as you get closer to home, that's when the reality sets in. I got hundreds of, <laughs> hundreds of animals to clean and feed, but we don't feed, uh, the week before Daytona, just you okay. know, it's better that way. So we're not having a lot of messes, you know, the water's fine, but, uh, we back off feeding that week before just so we don't come home to a big mess uh, and we don't want the animals being in it. So we'll do that. And it's not quite as bad, just organizing, unpacking and all that. So, but it's worth it. Like you, I would do it every weekend if we could, you know, it's a lot of fun hanging out with everybody there. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. We did the same thing. Um, didn't feed the week before yep. just so we wouldn't have that big mess coming back smart yeah. cool. so real quick before we get too deep into it um so tell us a little bit about your background is this your first podcast second one second one uh, okay yeah, i did okay. one last year with uh mj so okay sweet yeah yeah we did one um i grew up in florida my whole life and uh down in south florida you know we were around animals all the time i was always catching reptiles box turtles ringneck snakes um uh, things like that and then, you know, as I moved up to Central Florida when I was, I think, seven, um, still had the interest in reptiles I always have. And uh, a friend of ours, my, a friend of my dad's had exotics. And I had never seen exotic reptiles before, just a few things in a pet store. So he started, he was doing small scale importing of exotic reptiles. And that was the first time I'd seen anacondas and reticulated pythons. And at that time in the 80s, you were seeing stuff come from all over the world, you know, in one location, they would get African shipments, South American shipments, Indonesian shipments, all within two to three weeks. So you would see a variety of animals from all over the world. And it was fascinating to me to see all this stuff that I had only seen in books or on TV at some point. But um, then I started getting into the exotics a little bit more. So I've had reptiles my whole life. As far as the, the ball pythons, we had some in the late 90s. Uh, but, you know, there were any morphs at that point that were affordable. There was an albino. Um, so we had some, but um, I always had a, a variety of reptiles from colubrids to lizards, big pythons. We had berms and boas or ticks and stuff like that years ago, but um, kind of went smaller with the ball pythons. You know, big snakes were fun, but 
a lot of work trying to find food for them. I was by myself most of the time and, you know, I didn't want to get a bad bite and have a problem. So uh, it was nice to go down to a smaller python. But, uh, but yeah, I've been keeping those now for over 20 years. Uh, as far as the morphs, you know, we had, like I said, back in the 90s, sometimes they were a little difficult because they were all imported. Um, you know, sometimes you'd struggle with them to gain the feed. But I think I think they basically just become domesticated at this point. You know, I mean, they're so much easier to take care of now than they were, you know, back then. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of my background. I did work on an alligator farm when I was young in high school. We oh, hatched nice. alligators. It was kind of fun. Yeah. So we hatched them, bred them. So I've always kind of been around reptiles at some point in my life. And have you always been in the Florida area? Yeah. Yeah. Always uh, South Florida or Central Florida. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Nice. Nice. Yep. So when you first started working with the ball pythons, was it just purely on a like keeping um, perspective or were you looking at breeding at that time? I was kind of looking at, at trying to learn how to breed. Um, the ones that we would get imported, a lot of the times they would come in gravid. Back then, they weren't really farming them as much. You know, they would just ship everything in, babies and adults. So we would find the gravid females and, you know, you could get them pretty cheap. And then they'd lay eggs most of the time when we were hatching them out. But no one was really breeding them back then. So, uh, but they were easy to hatch, you know, a little, little different than than uh, some other python eggs. But uh, then as I started, yeah, it was around, I think, 2000. Uh, and one, you know, I wanted to start breeding them because I had bred a lot of other species of reptiles in the past. And yeah, it, they did fascinate me seeing the albinos and seeing the pides. Um, yeah, it was definitely fascinating to me. So yeah, my plan was to, you know, get I, my first morph that I purchased was an albino. And I think it was 2,500 at the time, which was a lot for me to spend for a snake. But um, I bought that snake and I bought a head and then just raised those up and um, you know, that rest, I guess, is kind of history, kind of built it from just those two snakes, you know, but, um, but it's fun, you know, and as I guess, as time has gone on, I still always had interest in other animals because I do keep other species, you know, too. I keep other species of pythons, tree monitors, colubrids. So it's not just ball pythons, but, um, they do make up the bulk of my collection. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, thinking back, like when you were first breeding, like, did you just kind of do things by trial and error? Or did you have someone kind of like who had done it a little bit and gave you like tips and tricks? How that worked? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both because, um, you know, some other python eggs were different to incubate. But in, in Central Florida, there was a really good group of old school guys, like old timers. So they had already done a lot of work and, um, you know, they were already breeding stuff that wasn't common in the pet trade. Like they were friends of mine at the time breeding time more pythons and Indian pythons and things you just don't even really see that much now. So we already kind of had a network of, of old school guys because there really wasn't a lot of, you know, internet information back in the nineties and late eighties, you know, you had to pick up the phone or meet somebody. Uh, it was a little bit different. Information wasn't as easily accessible as it is now. So I did, I had a, a couple of uh, old school Florida guys that kind of uh, helped me out a little bit and they learned from trial and error, you know, building our own cages and learning how to incubate, you know, without killing the eggs so yeah yeah it was a little bit of both and some of it was trial and error I, I built my own incubators and i've made a few changes over the years but they're pretty much the same as they were when i built them 20 years ago with just a few minor changes i made um but uh i guess a little bit of both nice who are some yeah. of those old school uh folks that helped you out at the beginning i don't know if you'd even know any of them there was some <laughs> old guys from florida uh one guy's name was larry grosky um i'm trying to think of some of the other butch tisher there were some old school guys. Most of them aren't alive anymore. You know, this goes back quite a ways. Uh, as far as the, the ball python guys, Dan Wolf was a, a pretty good guy. I worked with him early in uh, about 20 or 2001. He helped me out a little bit. 
Um, you know, but like so a lot of those old school guys used to go to the Central Florida Herp Society meetings, and those were organized by Wayne Hill, who does, you know, the big show in Daytona. So he was always involved in reptile shows even before Daytona. And he had good speakers that would come up there. Um, but a lot of the old school guys just met there and talked about, you know, their experiences, what's working, what's not working. I mean, there were guys incubating Python eggs over straight water back in the mid eighties and it worked fine. They just elevated the eggs above water and they were hatching them out perfectly. And a lot of people would think is that even possible, but it actually works really well. I don't do that now, but um, yeah, a lot of those old school guys, those pioneers kind of in central Florida figured out some really interesting ways to not only breed and hatch out eggs successfully, pretty consistently, you know, not just with ball pythons, but with a lot of other species of snakes. And a lot of it was just trial and error back then. Nice. Nice. So when you uh, first got into the morph game, you said it was albino was the first morph you started working with? Yeah, I bought one albino ball python from Dan um, and then a head. And then um, I'm trying to think of what I even got after that. I think I got like a few pastels after that. You know, there wasn't much yeah. out there at the time that was under $10,000. Everything was so expensive. You know, the market was booming and I, I just wasn't that confident to spend that kind of money on a snake. But uh, yeah, start off with the albinos, raised them up. Um, you know, and I was using at the time, <clears throat> just a little styrofoam incubator that I'd used to hatch other snakes out. So, you know, I had some success with them. I did one clutch I ruined and, you know, as it started to sink in, which is normal before hatching, I squirted it with water and I killed it. <laughs> I killed the whole wow. clutch. Like, I can't do that again. So I kind of made a mistake, but after that, I've never had a mistake, you know, I've never done that again. So, but I still use the same incubators I've been using for 20 years. Um, and they work pretty well, but, um. Yeah, start off with just the albino, and I still have the female het that I purchased back then in 2001. I still have her now. Oh, wow, I don't, nice. I don't, yeah, I don't really breed her. I just keep her there kind of sentimental value. But she's the only snake that I've had that long, um, and I still have her, you know. So I just kind of hang on to her for that. Nice, nice. Yeah. So that's actually a good segue because you were talking about, like, spraying the water on the eggs and so that ruined it because I did want to talk about, like, some of the challenges you had early on. So can you speak to some of the other challenges that you had early on? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, that was one at first for me, you know, was just keeping the eggs, you know, uh, humid, but not getting them too wet. Um, you know, for me, like the some of the challenges, I had to build most everything myself. You know, I built my own racks. You know, I bought the tubs from friends, but I had to build everything myself. I was really limited on space, so I couldn't keep the animals that I wanted to keep. Um, you know, back then, just trying to think back then, the, like I said, the accessibility just wasn't there. You just couldn't go online and find, find what you wanted back then. Really trying to find animals back then was could be difficult. You know, you really had to do a lot of legwork uh, versus now. You, you can go on Morph Market and pretty much find anything you want, any species you want. It wasn't like that back then. And, you know, back in the 90s, uh, most everything was imported. You know, I mean, there were people breeding, but not like now, you know, so much. I mean, you can get commercial style professional racks now delivered to your door, incubators delivered to your door. Back then, most everything was built. We had to build it ourselves. There were a few commercial grade racks, but they weren't really that great, you know. Um, but now, I mean, you have racks for specific species, you know, it's so much the, the technology has come so far in the last 20 years. It's so much easier to keep animals now than it was back then. Gotcha. Yeah. I heard like back in the day they used to send around like certain breeders used to send around like mailers basically and say, Hey, we got this available. And then you say, like, yeah, I used to that. get them all the time um, from uh, crutch fields, um, strictly reptiles. 
the problem was by the time you got it and you see the list, you hope that what you want was still there because you're like, crap, I can't get there till Saturday. And you call them up to, Hey, you still going to have those Indian pythons? Are you still going to have this? Cause I'm, I'm three days away, but that's what they used to do. They would send out a mailer to, to you once you're on the mailing list and you, you would see just all these really cool species. And like I said, you would just hope they were still there in four days when you got there, because back then we would make a, a little trip road trips on the weekends and we would hit, three or four different importers, you know, just to see what they were getting in. And they were getting in at the time, excuse me, some beautiful red tailed boas from Suriname and Guyana. Oh, Absolutely nice. stunning, stunning boas. And I'll never forget seeing those little babies come in just pink and red just really nice. But that's what I used to look for when I was going down there. I wasn't much in uh, lizards back then, but um, and then you would see just thousands of ball pythons, uh, thousands of emperor scorpions and these giant cattle tubs, which I'm not a big scorpion guy, but it was just, unique to see all of that stuff. But yeah, they used to send the mailers out and you just would rush over there as soon as you can, call your friends, say, hey, he's got this, this, let's get down there. You know, like <laughs> I said, you hoped it was still there when you got there in three or four days. Because you know that I got it, everybody was getting it. Everybody was trying to rush over there to get it first. So yeah, that was that was a different time. You know, there was really no online sales at that time. Nice road trip though. <laughs> That's what it was. It was a great time because you never knew what you were going to come back with. You know, we would go down to Miami or wherever and come back with bags of stuff and you were just didn't know what you were going to find you know at the time what kind of condition it was going to be or if you got really lucky you were there when the shipment was being there unpacked and that to me was like a oh, golden nice. ticket like when you see those crates come in they're all like oh I, I, can i help i just want to watch yeah, i want to yeah, see yeah. what's coming out you know <laughs> like i want that that but that wasn't that didn't always work out you know sometimes because they would get the shipments in from miami and then drive them back but if you happen to be there when they were unloading the crate man it was like christmas time you know you could see all the 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 hand-picked cherry stuff that you could get out of there it was really nice back then nice yeah so what's one of the coolest things you picked up uh I'm trying to think one of the coolest things I picked up one time. This was back, ugh, I'm trying to find know when this had to be late, probably mid to late 90s at uh, Crutchfields. And he had got, he had on his list um, water monitor, uh, large adult water monitors. You know, I've always liked water monitors. And it said large. And me and my friend went down there and they were massive. I mean, these things were like a full seven feet and huge. And I, he had two of them. And I forget. And the one, um, the one was a little bit longer, but it was a, it was thin, but the one was just a, a beefy, a, and these were fresh imports and, you know, fresh imported monitors were usually a handful, but these, I'm guessing they were what they call village lizards where they just kind of hunt around people and they weren't really afraid. And we picked it up and, and that was one of the coolest things I've ever picked. I took it home and I ended up getting that one, ended up taking it home. Um, but one thing I saw there, I'll never forget. I don't remember what species it was, but it was one of those giant uh, soft shell turtles. And he had it in a tub, a big cattle tub. It had to be close to 80 or 90 pounds. It was massive. And I've seen big soft shells. I've held big turtles before, but this thing was, I think they said in the 80 to 90 pound range. I don't know where it came from, but that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. But the coolest thing I took home was that giant water monitor. And I had it for years and it was actually a very handleable lizard for coming, you know, straight out of the wild. Um, but uh, that was probably one of the most unique things. And everybody, my friends that had saw it, they were shocked that it was so big and, and handleable at that size. It was a set of full seven feet long, big lizard. Nice. You said how 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 long? Uh, it was a full seven feet. I mean, it was a it oh, was wow. a big bulky yeah, water monitor. It was big. It was one of the biggest ones I'd seen. And my friend, he's got a, a facility that's open at the public, and he said the same thing. He's like, I've never seen a water monitor you know that big, and it was a uh, it was impressive lizard. I mean, it was definitely a head turner when you saw it in person, you know. But um, you would see neat things like that back in the day. You see, you know, just 
different different things come in. You see large. They they didn't really import a lot of big animals because of the shipping. Most of the stuff was small. But I'll never forget seeing bags of ticks come in and just some beautiful yellowheads and just some really nice animals that would come in. And those are the ones that we would, you know, kind of pick through and try to snag before everybody else came in. What'd you uh, keep the water monitor in at the time? I had a big enclosure, actually. It was a uh, 12 feet long by four feet wide and six feet high with a, a full-size door. And uh, I had a building with four of those, two on each side. Uh, I'm sorry, two big pens on each side with a divider. So it had free rain. had a really big enclosure because I had a smaller monitor on the other side. I built a ramp in there for it and uh, had good lighting at the time, you know, the best lighting I could get. Now, obviously, we got much better lighting. But, yeah, I had a big cage. I already had the cage done. Um, and when I saw that, I'm like, he would fit perfectly in there. And he did, I put him in there and he was, it wasn't an outdoor enclosure, which, you know, that would probably would have been the best thing, but he still did really well, you know, in that enclosure. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's a big lizard. It was that's big. a huge lizard. Was <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would have been confident enough to take him on. So kudos to you. I, you know, it was like, it, it was touch and go for a little while. Cause I've been around, I like, I don't know, man, fresh out of the wild. That's a big, I think could take a finger off or really do some damage, but we just put gloves on and, you know, other than just some incidental scratching, he was fairly handleable for a, a big lizard, you know, out of the wild. But, um, you know, that was one of the coolest things I took home. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So when you first started breeding and like working with the different morphs, did you have like, like long-term project goals in mind or what was your thought process back yeah, then? Yeah, I, I always kind of, I, I didn't know a lot of people in the industry, but you know, I knew the, like Dan and some other guys, they were already working on double recessive stuff. This is way back in like 2001 to three. I, I kind of stayed away from the Kodam, you know, stuff at the time, uh, just because I could, I, I knew a few people that knew a lot and they were, they were, they knew ultrasounds were being used. You know, we knew a lot of this Kodam stuff was really being cranked out in some high numbers. So I was always more interested in the double recessives anyway, at the time, I just really couldn't afford them. But um, my plan was just to kind of stick with double recessives and recessive gene animals, then mix in a few codoms here and there. And I've kind of stayed with that. We're mainly, you know, recessive and double recessive based, um, you know, with a few genes I do mix in there. Um, you know, I don't use an ultrasound. I'm still kind of old school and, you know, I'll palpate and just watch the females. Uh, I probably should get one, but um, yeah, that was my goal was to do that. I never wanted to have a lot of animals. I didn't want to have a warehouse full of snakes. I didn't want to be burdened with that. I just wanted to keep it kind of small. You know, I always thought 80 to 120 clutches a year would be enough for me. And uh, that's a comfort zone for me. I can handle that by myself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's talk about your breeding process. Like, mm -hmm. are you breeding year round or are you doing like seasonal breeding? What are you doing? I'm pretty seasonal. Um, you know, and I, I, I last year I, I stretched into May and June and I did pick up a few clutches, but typically I start here in uh, September, October when we start to get cold fronts. And the last year, I don't know how you guys were up there, but where I was, we were really warm all the way into December and yep. my males weren't breeding. And I tried and just, it was stagnant up until December. And then everything seemed to kick in. Um, but incidentally that pushed everything back. So normally June and July are my busiest hatching months this year. It's August and September. So I'm about two months behind my normal schedule. And it really wasn't a lot I can do. A lot of my local Florida guys said the same thing. They were all in the same, we're kind of on that same schedule. So I think it probably was environmental factors that attributed to that. Uh, but yeah, I'll usually start and then, you know, watch my females. I write everything down. So I know, you know, when I'm breeding them, I write down their ovulations and egg laying and they do get in those cycles, you know, and, and this year was funny. Some of those 
egg laying females laid almost two months to the day or the week that they did the year before. But the previous years, they're usually within a few weeks of the year before. So it's usually pretty tight. Um, this year I'll hatch all the way into November. because I still got one more clutch to come. Um, so, but usually uh, my incubator is only off about three months a year. Uh, the year before I only had it off one month because we had some February clutches and then I had some November always get a few stragglers, but most of mine, you know, I usually shut down breeding around the end of April. Um, and if I see females that are at, kind of still bull wrapping, I'll, I'll run those. I'll still pair a little bit into May, but usually by the end of May, I'm done breeding for the year. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, I really don't have like a normal quote unquote, because uh -huh. this is only like season three for me. But like last year, uh, I did have like a good bit of like late clutches, yeah. but this year it feels like proportionately speaking, um, more of my clutches are a lot later than they were last yeah. year. Like I got like, so I've hatched five, I've got eight in the incubator and uh, what is that? 13. And so I'm waiting on six more okay. to, to hit the ground. And two of those girls have not had their prelay. One's in prelay. One is probably a, few weeks out from prelay. Okay. So yeah. did your animals breed at the normal time that they did the previous years or did they seem not as interested? And it seems later? like they were building a lot later in the year. Yeah. Um, cause I have been using ultrasound cause I, I'm terrible at palpating. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> I got the ultrasound early on and I just taught myself like that way. And yeah. so like, I'll, I try to wait, um, in most cases for them to get to about like this, Let's just say 11, 11, 12 millimeter mm -hmm. follicles before I even start pairing. Okay. Uh, I try to be disciplined and do that. It doesn't always work, yeah. but um, I definitely try to wait. And so by the time my girls got to that size, like most of them that started building, it was later in the in the spring, really. Okay. And so yeah. then they just went through their cycle and whatnot. Yeah, I felt I had the same experience um, when I got my big, you know, push of eggs and ovulations. It was just so much later than it had been the previous years. And and I could kind of see it coming with the, you know, the way the breeding has had gone. It started so much later for me than it had in the past. But, um, you know, that's just the way it goes. You really can't predict and predict that you can try. But, you know, I, they're so smart. and They're so dialed into barometric pressure and the seasonal changes, you know, sometimes. So, um, you know, but yeah, we're, I'm like, I'm halfway through hatching really. I think I'm at clutch 27 and I still have another 30 to 35. I think that are going to be hatching when uh, typically by now I'm down to my last quarter, uh, clutches, but right. I'm still, I haven't even hit my, my 50, uh, my 50% mark yet. So I've still got a little ways to go too, but it seems like a lot of the Florida guys are in the same boat. Yeah, I'm gonna have a lot of babies uh early in the uh year next year. Oh, good, good. <laughs> which, which will be good timing because I'm planning to start vending early next oh, year. Oh, good. That'll, that'll be a lot that'll of fun. Be perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good Definitely time. Looking forward to that. That'll be fun. It's a good time. Everybody kind of hangs out, meet each other, meet new people, network. It's a good time. Yeah, yeah. Like I and mean, I've had so much fun at shows. Like even like. It doesn't necessarily have to be Daytona, like the Orlando show, the Tampa show. Like, man, I have a blast at those shows, just yeah. talking, talking with folks and just really like meeting people, networking, all that good yeah. stuff, seeing the animals, of course. And so, like, the shows are a blast, man. Like, it's it's a lot to be said for the shows. Yeah, I agree. And I always try to encourage people. My The other podcast I did, you know, I always try to encourage people to go to the shows. You know, like you and I are a perfect example. We crossed paths at the Tampa show. We all went out to dinner that night. We had a lot of fun. 
you know, that wouldn't have happened online. So you get, you know, how it is, you get hooked up with the right group of people and we all, you know, everybody has a good time, share information, hang out. And like you said, networking. And that's where I like going to the shows too. Even if I wasn't vending, I would still go just to see everybody and see the babies and talk to people. And, you know, like Tampa is a great time. We all have big dinners afterwards. It's fun. Everybody goes to Tampa. So yeah, I look forward to the shows just as much to socialize as I do to actually then you know it's a good yeah time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and don't get me wrong like social media has its place and like i've made yes. like some really good friendships on social media in fact like some like it's some so good sometimes like when you meet them in person you forget hey this is yeah. the first time i met you in person like it's yep. but i definitely like love meeting people in person and just having that opportunity to like just fellowship in person and man that restaurant was so good uh that the, place is good the name of it, but it was good man Them yeah. right. oh man oh it was good yeah it, it, it's tibby's tibby's new orleans tibby's, restaurant yeah. we yeah. stumbled onto it about a year and a half ago i was looking for something different and then i was by myself and it was great and then the next time i think there was five of us next time there was 12 and i think the last time there was 21 people you know one server everything's perfect the food's great and it's close to the the fairground so that's a good time we'll definitely do that again in the fall yeah that was amazing yeah, yeah that was <laughs> that place is good yeah yeah that's our new go-to spot when we're in tampa is that place you know it's really really good food yeah that's a great spot to be the go-to spot because like you say it's really really good food really yeah. really good food a lot of fun and they're always they're really good about catering to us we don't really you know make a reservation we just call them up say hey we got a big crew coming in they accommodate us, put the tables together. I mean, they take real good care of us there. And like I said, the food's great, you know. So I, I, we that's kind of our new little honey hole over there in Tampa right now. So when you're breeding, like how many locks are you trying to get, like uh, with the male and the female? And at what point do you throw the male in there? I usually shoot for when I start to pair. Like I'll look at the pairings I did with that female last year. <clears throat> And, you know, when she ovulated, I still shoot for four to five pairings with a female. And it seems like a lot, but I'm not using an ultrasound just to kind of try to make sure that I can, you know, she's going to become gravid. So I'll still go for four to five breedings once a month. You know, you may miss a month because of a shed between the two snakes, one or the other. But um, I'll still in, in that, say, four to five month breeding period, a, a target at least four to five pairing or four to five pairings at least. Um you know, and then I'll, I'll give him a week off, week and a half, and then pair him with another female. I don't push my males too much. You know, the most I'll pair, the most females I'll pair to one male will be five to seven. That's about it. Um, if I have more females for that project than that, then I'll just use two males. I'll have another male, um, you know, for that project. Like we do a lot of ultra male pie stuff. So I'll have two different males I'm using instead of really pushing one male too much. You know, I don't want to do that. So, um, you know, I'll... And then if I start to see the follicles or start to see them swell up, then that's it. I'm done. I'm confident she's going to ovulate. And then I'll just kind of put her off to the side and mark the tub. And then that's it. You know, but um, yeah, just kind of keep an eye on the males, make sure they stay healthy throughout breeding season. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you start pairing your males, like, are you waiting on weight? You waiting on age, a little bit of both? A little bit of both. You know, I like, I know I've had uh, one of the smallest males I've ever had breed was 560 grams. You know, he was a great breeder. And he bred, he was a phenomenal, I still have, he's still a great breeder, but he actually gained weight through breeding season. He finished breeding season. He got six clutches out of him. He was 800 grams, you know, when he breeding season was done, that rarely ever happens. So, but I usually, a little bit of both. I, I kind of like him at least in that 700 gram range where they have a little bit of weight. Um, you know, this coming season, 
all my key males are going to be, you know, they're already over 650 to 700 grams. Um, I've never really pushed the males too, too hard. You know, I, I tried some 500 gram range animals and, um, it's kind of like they'll, they'll court a little bit, but they're not the best breeders, but, um, I kind of find that seven to 800 gram range is the sweet spot for me. Um, you know, when breeding the males and they're just a little bit bigger too, a little bit more, more body weight. That's what I've seen too. Um, same. Thanks again too, like with that one male, that male that uh, we were talking about that went off food. So he ate yeah. his like fourth meal in a row uh, early this morning. So Good. yeah, man, I was worried about that guy. Like I said, he was losing weight and stuff. Uh, yeah, he, he never even locked up, so it was it was a little weird. Like he he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't breed, he wouldn't do anything. Um, and then like I say, he started like dropping weight, but putting him in the water, washing him off. Uh, changing out everything and putting them in a different room worked yeah. like a charm. Like the very yeah. first time I offered, he just wrapped it. I was like, yes. That's what you said. <laughs> yeah, because from what you said, it was what, a four or five month, six month time frame where he yeah. had not eaten, right? Yeah. It was yeah, a while. Yeah. It was a while. And so I was, I was super worried. Yeah. And so for him to just like hop on it the way he did, and he's yeah. hopped on every single one just like that. Like That's bam, good. bam, bam. As soon as you offer it, he don't, he don't, he don't think for a second. He just gets yeah. right on it. And so I'm like, yeah. yeah. So, We'll put, um, he, I think he was like maybe like four or something, but we'll just wait. Like I kind of want to get like a whole bunch of weight on him yeah, and then yeah. we'll try and see if he wants to breed again. I mean, cause yeah. I definitely want to breed him. Um, Cypress Spectre, double hit hypo climb. Okay. I definitely want to breed him, but I don't want to push him before he's ready. And so I can yeah. wait. It'll be all yeah, right. And if that does happen again, you know, if he get falls into that cycle of non-feeding, that will probably work again, you know, just separate him, clean them, put them in. Because I've had other friends that, you know, I've told that too. And I was like, just, it could be a 10 gallon aquarium. Just get them away from the other snakes, clean them, wash them down, something different. And like your snake, it just changed his whole mentality. And he just, like you said, he went right back on feed immediately. So it works good with males. Um, and also, you know, with females that lay eggs, I wash all mine off, clean the tubs out really good. I tend to just put newspaper down um, for their first feeding, get them back on feeding again. Then I'll put the cocoa, you know, back in again. So I do this it's similar with the females. I just don't separate them in a different room. But if I get a male like that, I'll just bring the male in the house away from all the females, you know, and just clean them, different container. And just like, you know, your experience, usually they jump right back on feed, you know, right away. So um, I felt that was work because you said he seemed like he was normal. He wasn't passing any foul stools. So it didn't sound like he had any kind of uh, any any other issues. He just, you know, was needed to get out of that cycle and away from the females. And sounds like he jumped right back on again. So that's good news. Yeah, he jumped right back on. Yeah. I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Little things make us happy. That's one yeah. you see a snake finally feeding after a, a hunger strike for five months. That's something that gets us excited, you know. So oh yeah, oh yeah. I got I was I was a proud pappy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um you feed live? I do like fresh pre-killed. So okay. I just buy live and then I just stun them, kill them and then feed that way. I just don't have the room to feed or to freeze, um, you know, that many animals off. Um, so yeah, I just do fresh pre-killed. Okay. Yep. So you, you, you buy your rodents, you don't breed them. Yeah. I don't have the time. I, it's a time consuming thing. And if I had mm -hmm. time, I would, I just don't, yeah, I don't have the time for it. So I have to buy it mine. Is, yeah. It is. Yeah. So are you a one man operation? Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. I do everything myself. Um, my niece does help me a lot. Uh, she'll help me out sometimes cage cleaning and labeling and setting up babies and things like that. So she'll help me a little bit, but <clears throat> for the most part, it's just me. Yeah, man. It's, rodents are a lot of work, a lot of work. It is. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
we we split it between like me, Takar, and my son, uh-huh. and it's three of us. And so we we can get through it, but just doing it by yourself, man, that's yeah. a ton of work. It's a lot. Yeah. And then you always have something, you know, where uh, a water line will get chewed through or there's just, it's a, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's just a lot to do, but if I had the time, I would, I just don't have the time or the right setup for it. So right now it's just easier for me to buy, you know, to buy the animals. So, and I have a good, reliable local source. So that helps. I don't have to drive too far. So it's nice. Gotcha. Gotcha. So are you doing Norwegians, mice, ASFs? What do you do? I don't really use ASFs. The only thing I'll feed, I do get a few ASFs. Um, I feed those to uh, my blackheaded pythons and my Krebos. Um, so I'll, I'll use those occasionally. Rarely, I have, every now and then I'll have one that I'll try an ASF if it gets picky. Uh, but usually just regular, you know, regular Norwegian uh, rats, mice. Um, I don't really, I don't have anything that specifically will eat the ASFs. Everything eats pretty much normal. Um, like I said, I use those for my some of my other species, um, the softers. Gotcha. Yeah. And so what's your uh, feeding schedule like? So do you like adjust it based on like age and size or you kind of feed everyone on the same cadence? Yeah, I, I pretty much my feeding day is once a week. And then on some of my smaller babies, I'll hit them about every four or five days on smaller meals, you know, versus a bigger meal. And then I usually kind of roll them into I introduce uh, fuzzy rats, like rat pups, real fuzzy rats or right around. 100 to 150 grams. I think it's a little easier for them to digest, you know, at that age. But I kind of, if it, I prefer almost to go a little on the smaller side where they're not jumping around, you know, like popcorn. And sometimes the babies will get startled, uh, like the little mouse pups that are just kind of crawling around. But I feed everything once a week, most everything once a week. Um, you know, of course, if they're in shed, they're going to pass. And then I'll look at some of my bigger females, you know, if they don't need a rat that week. I'll skip them and just, you know, once they get to that certain size that they haven't laid eggs that year, they've got plenty of weight and I'll, I may skip a week on one of them, you know, but, um, most everything, all the small stuff gets offered food at least once a week. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about what I do. Man. Like the younger ones, I may do it a little less than once a week. Like I used to just only do it once a week. But now since I've kind of got ASFs and I yeah. still got like my guy local that provides like other rodents like rats mm-hmm. and mice, um, I may do it a little bit more frequently. Um, yeah. Partially just because like I, I need to feed off some of those ASFs too. Yeah. Like we're, we're producing a good bit. And so I, oh, I good, do have good. to uh, uh, feed them off um, as much as I can. But I like to do, at least for the non-holdbacks, I like to uh, primarily feed just Norwegians just yep. because everyone doesn't have access to ASFs. Exactly. And it hasn't been my experience that the younger ones get like stuck on ASFs, but some people either feel that way or I definitely don't want to sell like an animal to someone who doesn't have access to ASFs yeah. and then it's stuck on ASFs and then like they have problem feeding the animal stuff like exactly. that. So I do try to like at least go back and forth, but yeah. primarily I do uh regular rats, Norwegians. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. And it's a good recommendation. I know I sold a snake to somebody in Tampa and they had a few snakes and they said they were feeding softers because they were getting them at their local pet store. And I said the same thing. I said, you know, I, I, if they have regular rodents, I would stick to that because the person that's supplying them with softers, if they stop, you're going to have a hard time getting softers, you know? So, um, you know, if, if you have to feed them fine, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with them, but yeah, you produce your own. So you're good to go. But I don't know. I've never had an experience where they were just keyed in on softers and would only eat a softer. Um, years ago, I picked up a big snake from a guy and he, he was honest. He, I needed the female and he said, it will only eat softers. It was a 2000 gram ball Python. So I could get him. It wasn't a problem. 
So I got the snake and I never offered it a regular rat. I just kept giving it sulfurs like he had been feeding it. And one day I just forgot to get the sulfurs and all I had were regular rats. So I threw a rat in there and ate it fine and never ate another sulfur. So um, I don't know what was going on there, but I was feeding it the sulfurs just because that's all he said it would eat. But it's never eaten a sulfur since. And that's been probably seven years. So, um, you know, I don't know if they'll get keyed in on just that only. Maybe, you know, there's a small percentage that do. Um, you know, but, um, I know back in the day when snakes were still the imports, you know, a rare snake was still 20 or $30,000. People were gladly paying five to $7 for a sulfur to keep, you know, the snake alive. They didn't care how much they cost back then, you know, but, um, you know, I, I use them for other species, but yeah, I don't really have anything right now that I have to feed sulfurs to. Everything's pretty much on regular rodents, you know, but. Gotcha. Yeah. Like even some of my older snakes, like I'll offer like a Norwegian and yeah. some of them won't take, but most of them will. Like it's it's only a handful that only eat the ASFs. Okay. Yeah. So they definitely work, you know. I mean, it's it's if you get that picky snake sometimes, that's that's one thing that kind of triggers them into feeding is those softwares, you know. So they're good to have around in your case. It's smart to have both on hand, you know, but um yeah. And I hadn't like tested this hypothesis, but I bet if some of those ones that only eat the ASFs, like probably if they went like a few weeks without eating, they'd probably take that rat too. They might. Yeah. Yeah. They might. Yeah. They could. Or maybe if you had the rat in there with some softwares in the bin where they kind of got the scent, that might help too. You know, it, it could. Um, but yeah, it might. Cool. So uh, let's talk about the projects that you're working right now. So, okay. so what's your, what's your premier project? I guess the one this year so far, we've had a few really fun clutches. Um, we were, they were clutches of animals we hadn't produced yet. You know, something I've been building for, uh, we had a couple in Daytona was the VPI Xanthic desert ghost. So we were able to hatch out two females so far. That was exciting. Cause that was nice. a project we started on like three years ago. And our first two clutches this year, uh, we got one in each clutch and I was happy because the animals I'm using, the odds are one out of eight and it was a six egg clutch and a seven egg clutch. So we, ended, we got two out of 13 eggs and I have two more clutches due the end of September, possibly to hit another one. I still need a male. I don't have the visual male yet. So that one was pretty exciting. And then when I returned from Daytona, you know, I knew I had some clutches that were going to be pipping the moment I pulled out of my driveway. And sure enough, when I came home, I looked in the incubator and I could see him. So we ended up with uh, Orange Dream, Ultra Mel Pies, and Yellow Belly Ultra Mel Pies, two separate oh, nice. clutches. So that was exciting. Yeah. And they came out with a lot of pattern, really good color. And as soon as they shed, I'll, I'll post some pictures. But um, we started on the Ultra Mel Pied Combo project a few years ago. Now the females are up to size. So now we're in a situation where we can make you know, ODs, yellow bellies, and maybe OD yellow bellies. Um, I still have two more clutches due to make some more combos, but so far we got two OD ultra mel pies and then two uh, yellow belly ultra mel pies. So that was exciting because that's something we kind of been building to. Um, and then we maybe have some desert ghost pie stuff coming later in the year. So nice. those three clutches were probably my most exciting because it's stuff we've never hatched um, and stuff that we, you know, made the pieces, raised them up to breeding. And now we're finally getting eggs from that, that group of animals. So those are pretty exciting. So in terms of like animals you got in your collection is pied, like the recessive that you've got the most of, or is it another one? Probably. Yeah. I'd say mostly pies. Um, we didn't do a lot of clown this year, but next year we'll have a lot of clown stuff. Um, but I work with, you know, desert ghost and then a Xanthic clown pied, uh, tri-stripe ultra Mel, 
So mainly the most of the recessive stuff. But yeah, I do quite a bit of pies, even some of them just regular base gene pies because uh, we seem to sell those pretty good at shows. So I always like to have just regular basic pies on hand. Um, but I'd say pies, at least 60% of the collection and then a decent amount of clowns. And then, you know, Ultra, Ultra Mill is probably my next most popular. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, what route are you taking the Ultra Mill other than the Ultra Mill pie? Uh, clown too. We're working on that. I won't produce uh, visuals yet. We're making ultra mill head clowns. And then we do have some ultra mill pies we made a couple of years ago. So I want to run the ultra mill clown, uh, try to make the triple, you know, the ultra mill oh, clown nice. pies. Yeah. That's kind of what we're working on too. So, um, and then just uh, some other combos with ultra mill, but mainly and tri-stripe. We do have some tri-stripe ultra mill double heads. That's oh, another nice. one that's hard to find if you can't even really find a visual. So um, I'll probably have to just try to the one out of 16 odds and try to make one that way. So, uh, yeah, I try to do a lot. With, I like Ultra Mill a lot. So me too. working into me most too. everything. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool gene, you know, it's getting the right colors in there. And I mean, no matter what you make, I've seen, you know, butter, Ultra Mills that look great. Dark stuff looks great. Tri stripes look awesome. So it seems like whatever you put in Ultra Mill works really well. Um, so that's why I'm pretty excited about the ultra mill stuff. And now with the ultra mill pied combos, you just go from there between we're going to go into blackhead, you know, this coming season, we'll have the ability to make super OD ultra mill pied combos now because the OD ultra mill pied, I have a, a male that's breeding now and we'll be able to make some super stuff possibly. So that'll be a pretty cool project. If it pans out, we'll see how that goes. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's still so much more to be done with Ultra Mill. And I agree. I really like it. I really I like it. And like you said, man, it's like it's so many things that go well with it. Like I like seeing like the dark stuff. I like seeing pattern disruptors. Like I like all of that. Like, yeah, I really yeah. like that project. Yep, I agree. There's a lot to do with them. You know, I mean, no matter what, everything I've seen with Ultra Mill looks good. I've seen I know Dale made some nice, like I said, some butter combos. and They look really good. Light stuff, dark stuff. It just you get some really unique you know, burnt orange markings. So yeah, I'm a big Ultramel fan. I've always liked Ultramel and it seems like it's becoming more popular now. People are realizing the potential. So um, there's just so much more to do with it. I agree. Did you see that? Uh, I believe it was Ultramel Tri-Stripe, a leopard Ultramel Tri-Stripe is what I think it was. Did you see that one? I don't think I've seen that yet. No, I've seen Ultramel Tri-Stripe, but I didn't see the one with the leopard in it yet. Okay, I haven't nice. seen the picture of it. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty nice. Um, it? Okay. I can't remember who made it, so I apologize. But okay, no, yeah, no. I have to see the picture of it. It's pretty okay. dope. It's is really it okay? Nice. I've never yeah. seen an Ultra Mill Tri Stripe in person, but the photos look pretty impressive. So I can imagine it looks really good. And you know, a Tri Stripe ages dark anyway, so I think it would hold color really well as an adult. You know, it really should. So yeah, I'd be excited to see that. Nice. Yeah. 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 yeah I'll definitely have to see that picture, yeah. but. Ultra Mill Clown is so I, I should be pushing that fairly hard next year. Oh, good. Um, okay. As far as that project goes, okay. Like, um, hopefully my mail is ready to go. Um, and I probably like have a backup mail for it too, just in case like yeah. one of them isn't ready to go. Yeah, I've got I've got like a double visual mail, and he's probably at like five hundred now. If oh, okay. my girls kind of build like ar around that like same time frame, then in theory, as long as that guy keeps eating, he should be good to go. But I do want to have a backup mail just in case because like I've been burnt before and like not having a backup mail. And so if yeah. I can have like a backup mail to kind of like split the load or 
if he goes if he stops breeding then i can put that other one in yeah. um i, I want to do that just because i don't want to like be in the position that i that i was in before to where i can't push that project forward yeah. and i gotta like go a different route like i want to give myself like as much of an opportunity to push that project forward as possible because that's one of my favorite projects yeah. and so i don't want to like lull in it um if i can help it no that's smart and i always recommend people you know don't don't put all your eggs in one basket with one male, even a, a proven breeder male. I always like to have a backup because, you know, a year is a long time to wait for a, a project that, you you know, you're serious about. If that male doesn't breed, you're kind of dead in the water. You're, you're trying to scramble around at the last minute and find the replacement. But I, I always recommend having a backup male, even if it's not the same caliber, but have something to give you an option or an opportunity to make those babies that season. You know, a friend of mine was last year. It's kind of funny. We laughed about it, but you know, I bought a snake from him and then he sold me his, uh, het, the het version. It was a beautiful snake and I wanted as a backup Well, his breeding season came around and the male that he was banking on wasn't breeding. And he's like, I got six females and he's not doing anything. I'm like, I told you, you should not have sold me. I felt like I wouldn't sell that snake. You might want to hang on to it till at least December, January. He said, no, my male is going to be plenty big enough. And it was, I think February. And I said, you sure don't want that snake back. So he kind of missed, you know, a big part of his breeding season because he, sold the snake. So I always think it's important to have something as a backup plan just in case, because you don't want to miss that opportunity. Like you said, um, if he doesn't decide to breed the right way or he takes time off, um, you know, then you're kind of can be a year behind on that project. You know, if you can't, and it's frustrating because if it's a key male, sometimes, you know, during breeding season, those males aren't available. You can go on morph market and find one because they're doing other people are using those males as well. So yeah, I always think it's a good idea to have a backup of some kind, you know, going into breeding season. A hundred percent. And like one of my favorite things to do is like plan for like the upcoming season because it's kind of like building a roster, like a sports yeah. team roster, right? Because yeah. you know, like, you know, it kind of like plays you want to run, you know, what kind of yeah. game plan you want to run. So you got to look at your players and like, where are you missing people? Where are you missing yeah. a player? And like, you got to have a backup in there and just kind of like think through that and you like put yourself in like, the best position to be uh, successful. Yeah. So it's pretty fun. Like, it is. No, you're right. It's a lot of planning and, and organizing and coordinating because you're right. It's exactly the way it is, you know, and then that can all change quickly. If you see an animal posted online, you know, that you want to make <laughs> like, damn, I, yeah, I want to change some things now. I got those animals, but I wasn't thinking about putting them together, but now, oh, I'm yeah. my you know, so yeah, that can still change, but no, I agree. It's fun to just kind of prepared i think we're in that stage right now where we're mo i mean most of this priority know what we're pairing but little things may change you know so we're still kind of there's some things i'm still working on i'm sure you are too as far as pairings and you know what's going to happen if he doesn't breed these girls what else can i use so you're right it's almost there's always a, a backup scenario in case the first plan doesn't work out you know but um yeah it's definitely a lot of planning that goes into the stuff for sure 100 percent. and then of course at the end of the day they're animals so they're going to do what they want to do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 100% right. <laughs> but yeah, it's fun. Like, yeah. I, I really enjoy it. Like, and it gives, like, I, I said this a lot, but um, there's always like so much to look forward to. Like, you're yeah. looking forward to the planning, you're looking forward to the pairing, you're looking forward to them laying eggs, you're looking forward to it hatch like there's so many things you're looking forward you're right. to you're looking forward to the animals grow up like it's yeah, just like you're, right. you're constantly having something to look forward to and, yeah. and be excited about so that's one of my favorite things about it too it's just yeah. like really always constantly having something to look forward to and be excited about yeah and it is and when you see those projects finally come to fruition it does you know like when we had last week the ultra pied uh yellow bellies and ods that was three years ago you know i started that three years ago made my own heads and now 
they're they're laying eggs now i'm getting it so i look at those snakes in my hand i'm like you know this i was thinking about making you three years ago and here you are you know here it is but and i know you're getting to that point where you're what over 100 animals now yeah about 120 ish okay yeah so it grows fast but it's fun like there's always something to look forward to watching your babies grow watching new stuff hatch out trying to decide, you know, what you want to hold back, what you want to sell. That can be the hardest part, you know, it's just, you know, what do you want to sell? What do you want to hang on to? So uh, you'll find that out. <laughs> that's the, to me the worst part. It's like, I want to keep it, but I don't, do I need it? You know, that's, that to me is the most difficult part. You just handpicking the, the stuff that you want to hold back, but you know, it is fun. You're right. There's always something to look forward to. Yeah. Like um, I got like washed on a project last year. I only really had one opportunity in the DG clown project. Uh-huh. And it was like a visual clown combo clown male to like a visual uh combo DG female. And she ended up laying like maybe eight or so eggs. Seven of them were like slugs. One uh-huh. looked like it could have been a, a winner. Um, and it did well, like all the way up until like about two days before I expected it to hatch it. Then it just went south quick. Uh-huh. And so like I didn't get anything in that project because uh-huh. I was at least hoping to have those double heads growing up in the yeah. wreck. Uh, but this year, like so far my first uh dg clown project clutch has been successful like um i had four i only had four eggs but like all four were females and three of them were like visual combo clowns oh good and uh, all of them are 100 hit dg and then like oh, i got good. like one uh leopard double hit dg clown but yeah oh. um i was i was pretty excited so i ended up having and i and i might have mentioned this in daytona but i ended up having like a leopard inchy yellow belly uh clown hit dg uh yeah. spot nose inchy yellow belly clown hit dg and a inchy leopard clown hit dg and then like i said that leopard double hit and so i don't know what i'm gonna do if if i'm gonna keep all of them or if i'm gonna sell one of them or two of them i don't know yet but uh, uh, i know that spot females, nose girl right? ain't going nowhere they're all girls <laughs> they're all females all, zero yeah. oh point four yeah yeah, I'd, I'd hang it all for those. You know? <laughs> <laughs> those are worth hanging on to, you know, I, I would think because you're going to be guaranteed to get some cool combos out of that. And, um, you know, even with four females, you know, if all four go still with double heads, you know, the odds can double. I still have a lot of double heads and, you know, they can make or break you sometimes. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you're hitting on all cylinders. You get a lot of visuals. Other times you don't. But, yeah, those would be tough to, to sell. Those have got some pretty good genes in them. I'd probably hang on to all four of them, you know. Yeah, I'm really like seriously considered like, man, I might as well hold on to all four yeah. of them. And that's probably where I'll land too, to be honest. Yeah, it'd be worth it, you know. I mean, like you said, then it gives you multiple opportunities to make, you know, those combos, you know. So I would hang on to those. And then yeah. I got another clutch that just hit the ground. It's like six eggs where got a shot at some visual clown hit DGs. And so we'll see oh, what we get. Okay. But okay. it's not as many codoms in the mix, but spot nose is in the mix. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah, so. That's a good one. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I really think that's all that guy. Like, like I'm trying to think in my head, but yeah, that's all that male uh, did for me uh, this year. I didn't stretch him too far because he was pretty young. But okay, next year okay. he's gonna be ready to go. Good. That's good. Yeah. Like yeah, he goes smart. right in there and gets the business. So next year he's gonna be ready to go. That's good. Yeah, that's smart. You don't want to push some of those guys too much, you know, and want them to shut down. That's. Cause that can be even more frustrating. That can hurt you just as bad if they are breeding and then they shut down halfway through. You have females that are ready and you just don't want to push them, you know, too much. So there's always that balance, you know, how much can they handle, you know, in the wild, they're moving around more. They're probably not as confined. So um, I'm sure it's a lot different, you know, there, but uh, yeah, there's always that fine line between pushing them too much and, 
you know, kind of backing off a little bit because even if they're still feeding, it could still four to six month breeding season. It can take a lot out of a male, you know, it really can if they're pushed too much. So that's good. That sounds like an exciting project. You're making some good holdbacks. Yeah, I'm really excited about that project. Hypo Clown is probably my favorite project. Not even probably, okay. it's definitely my favorite project. Uh, but DG Clown is definitely a close second. Yeah. Ultra Clown too. Like, yeah. And they all work well together. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can even mix a lot of that stuff, you know, together and, and you're still going to get good stuff. I don't know if anybody's made the Ultramel uh, DG Clown. I have seen the Ultramel Desert Ghost Pied, and that was really impressive. Um, I don't I don't know. I've only seen one in Europe. Dean uh, made that one and it was it was really impressive. Um, so I'm sure the clown would be just as nice, you know. Ultra DG Pied, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, Dean, uh, Dean Van Omer and Dean Reptiles, he made one and they worked together really well, those jeans. You know, I didn't know if the DG would kind of hurt the Ultramel, but they look really good together. As far as I know, it's the only one that's been made unless I just missed it somewhere else. But he made one. It, it was pretty impressive, you know, so it was it was a good combo. It kind of had me thinking about maybe shooting for that, um, you know, a little bit. So I've got some Ultramel pied females and a desert ghost pied. And I thought about maybe just making some pied double hatch, you know, for down the road. It, it, it was a nice enough combo where I think it would be worth chasing. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I was I was actually thinking about uh, DG Ultra Clown. And I got that male penciled in to go to like a visual ultra male girl for next year. Okay. Cause he's a inchy yellow belly leopard DG head clown. And okay. so it'll be pos head clown, but yeah. we'll see. And get it tested. You know, now you can just exactly. send off the skins, get them tested and you'll know what you got. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, re I really like a lot of those projects, but yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to next year. Next year is going to be like an even better year, hopefully than this yeah. year. And this year is going to be like a good year too. Good. Yeah. It takes time man, to build those projects. And next thing you know, though, you know, three to five years down the road, seven years, you're, you're, you know, making better stuff. Your clutches are the quality. Your clutches are better, more visuals. And then, like I said, the most difficult part is trying to pick out, you know, what you want for yourself and you know what you want to sell, but uh, it can build pretty quick. You know, you start getting into that 20, 30 clutch range, you know, two to 300 babies. It can add up pretty fast, you know, so um you know but it's a lot of fun so what's your uh thought process like when you're figuring out like what animals to keep versus what animals not to keep because i can imagine it's pretty tempting to keep it is because like, i know yeah. you're producing a lot of fire so it's probably oh. really tempting to keep a lot of stuff you know it's like and i look at like what's out there you know um and i ask myself if i had to buy two or three of these you know could i even find this stuff and you know, like we made the Desert Ghost VPI Xanthics. I've had people reach out to me. They weren't even offered for sale and they wanted to buy them. But I'm like, I, I could probably sell them for a pretty good chunk, but I can't replace them. You know, if I wanted to go out and buy five myself right now, I probably couldn't even find females. So um, for me, it's like, you know, my long-term projects. I know we just had a special Batman, you know, meet Snake and, and I probably will keep her back just because she is so unique. So I guess I kind of got like these long-term goals and I just hope I can make the pieces, you know, like we made the yellow belly ultra male pies. I'm keeping both. Um, I need the female for the future and then the male I need for myself. So it's tough. I try to, you know, just try to, I guess, upgrade the best I can, you know, at some point phase out of the double heads and just get into visuals and uh, just clean up the clutches a little bit. Cause a lot of the stuff I'm making, I'm still using double heads, you know, like I said, so um, it's just, like availability. Can I find it? You know, when I bought my OD Ultramel pie, I've missed on it for three years. One, I saw someone post a clutch online and I asked him, you know, are you going to sell it? 
He said, yes, I bought it. And now I just hatched some out, but I'm also a year ahead. If I waited, you know, I, we just hatched two males, but I, those won't breed till next year. So now I can sell those and keep the one, you know, I bought last year. So um, I guess it just depends on my project long-term, you know, I've got like ideas in mind and I just, some of the stuff that I hold back, I just can't find, you know, I couldn't buy. So I just keep it back for myself, you know, mainly visual double recessives. I'll definitely hang on to, especially if they're females, you know, there's hard to replace or put a dollar amount on those, honestly. Um, you know, so if I can afford to keep them, I'll just keep it back. But it's tough. Gotcha. That's what you're going to run into too. You know, when you start, you know, <laughs> like they're all looking so cool and you, you know, and if you break down what you actually paid to maintain those snakes and produce them, it's a fraction of what it would cost you to go out and buy them. So, you know, it's hard to sell that, you know, when you know what you actually got into those animals, you know, so that's, that to me is the biggest challenge, you know, what do I keep? What do I sell? But, um, you know, it's still a struggle, but you know, works for me. I figure out a way to, you know, try to like this year, I've already got a few animals, maybe uh, eight or 10 holdbacks. I think we're on clutch 27 now. So I think I had about 10 holdbacks so far and uh, that could change, you know, I'm sure I got a few more upcoming clutches and if I hit what I want, I'm going to hold those back too, you know? So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Before that last clutch, I think I had, I really only had two holdbacks before that last clutch. Okay. Now I think you convinced me. Now I think I got six. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I would do. I mean, those are the snakes that when you sell, you're going to regret it three months down the road because you can't see, you don't can't find one anywhere, and you're like, damn, you know, I wish I would have kept those. So I, you know, those are those are hard ones not to uh, hold back, in my opinion. And the thing is, too, it's you know, I was looking not necessarily the value of the snake now. Look at what the value is going to be in three years. You know, it's um, you know, desert goes clown. Don't look at what it is right now. You know, say they're, you buy one for 6,000. Now it'll never be wor worth less than that as it continues to grow. And, you know, look at the clutches that animal is going to give you, you know, down the road. So, um, you know, that's kind of the way I, I look at it, you know, in a way, if, if it makes more sense to hang on to that female, then I'll just keep it, you know, versus selling it for, a price that I don't feel is really worth it. You know, it's at some point it's smarter to hang on to the snake and let it get size and then breed it in three years. And, you know, long-term it's going to be a better investment. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. A hundred percent. So uh, that special Batman uh, based on current thinking, do you, uh, which route are you planning to go with that? Two really. Um, I really like the Cypress special stuff a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think that snake as an axanthic would look really cool. So those are the two things when it hatched, uh, first one we've ever hatched, you know, and I don't, I haven't really seen one of those. I've seen some other special combo clown combos and I really like them a lot. Um, but when it hatched, you know, that's when your mind starts kind of spinning like, okay, what else can I put on that? That would help it and not hurt it. I think Cypress is a good one. Um, I got some Cypress stuff or just VPI axanthic. Um, I think special and axanthic is going to look really good together because special, animals tend to be real crisp and clean and they age well and that may help the axanthic do the same um now i don't know how hard it's going to be to pick out but you know i'm definitely going to go that route so those are the first two things that came to mind were like i said the cypress and uh axanthic that's the only clutch i'll have this year that i can make that snake so i won't have any more opportunities for that when it was a, a nine egg clutch didn't have the best odds because the male i'm using was a hit that i made myself so i only got 
uh, one visual special clown. The other ones were just some other combos, but uh, good female to hold back, you know, and then maybe in two years that will change, you know, maybe I'll see something else or decide to go in a different route. But right now I know of two uh, possible paths. I'm going to take that snake for now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's real nice. Special is one of those genes that, um, it's really like growing on me. Like I'm, I'm seeing like a lot of really cool stuff. And like yeah. you said, it's like really crisp. It's, it's really nice. It and it just really pops. To me. It does. Well, it's funny. Cause back in like 2010, you know, we had specials and we were making crystals back then, you know, crystals were really popular. They're really pretty. They had like, you know, the <clears throat> blue eyes, kind of like a Lucy it's in the white, white complex, but um, it had pattern. And I actually thought back then I was thinking about running it into clown and making mystic crystal clowns because a mystic crystal is really cool. And I never did it, but I just dumb luck. I kept my super special females. I just had them and I was just making, you know, Lucy's and stuff with them and different, you know, white combination snakes. And then I saw some people posting some special clown stuff and I had an empty Batman. So I bred him to those super specials. And made my own head so everything was a special there was no doubt about it because the females were supers and i still have those i'm glad i kept them just i just changed directions made my own heads um and then that male i used this year to make that and then the nice thing about those pairings i was able to produce a lot of female combo specials that are het and a lot of them are going to go this year so my cypress stuff will go to that but yeah the special it, it was it's interesting because i look back in like 2009 and 10 a single gene special, it, it looks different than just a normal ball python. You know, a normal ball python, it, it as it ages, it kind of muddies up the colors a little bit and it bleeds. But a special is real crisp, even at 2,000 grams. They look different, you know, not like a fire. And you when looking at them, you think there's something there, subtle. But when you put it into the right clowns, it makes a huge difference. You know, like I said, real crisp, real clean. They age really well. Uh, they add some nice colors and tones in there. So... Yeah, I'm kind of, I kicked myself for not putting into clown in 2010, but I'm happy that I kept the super specials uh, just to have on hand and then was able to kind of do a 360 and make some heads and still be in the project, you know, um, but uh, look back, one of those things and, you know, 12 years ago, I should have done it, you know, would have been in a pretty good spot now, but at least I had the, you know, the insight to kind of hang on to those girls for future projects. Yeah, yeah, that's really dope. Um yeah. It's a lot of like what I feel like are underrated like morphs. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Like what's what's the recessive that you think is underrated that you think more people should be paying attention to? Oh, uh, that's a good question. You know, I still do think, you know, I see Ultramel a lot. I think there's still a lot of potential with that. Um, I still think Tri Stripes has a lot of potential, not a lot of it out there. Uh, there's a few guys working. I've seen the Desert Ghost Tri Stripes are phenomenal. The Ultramel looks great. I've seen a photo of an Azanthic. I don't know what line of Azanthic. It may have been TSK, uh, but either way, it was a beautiful snake. So I think that's one because when people see them in person at the shows, they really like them a lot and the combos look great. You just add some some different color changes in there. Um, I think that's one that a lot of people kind of have slept on. I see more people now jumping into Puzzle. A few years ago, you know, a lot of people really weren't paying attention to it. One of my local friends, Barry, he uh, he'd always focused on puzzle years ago, you know, and now it's really starting to become more popular. A lot of people are getting into the puzzle combo. So, yeah, I agree. I think there's some genes that people kind of overlooked and, you know, now they're really seeing the potential. But I would say, you know, the puzzle, the tri-stripe, still Ultramel, I think has a ton of potential would be the probably the top three that I see that I think 
definitely needs a little bit more attention, you know, um, at the moment. I'm sure something else will pop up too. But yeah, I still think those three still have a lot of potential. Gotcha. What about codoms? Any underrated codoms out there, in your opinion? Uh, That's a tough one. I'm trying to think. I don't know. <laughs> Got me on that. <laughs> like, what else to add in there? I'm not real sure. I've been focusing so much on the recessive stuff. You know, there's something new that's popped up. I've seen some pictures the other day of something really unique. I don't know what it was, but um, he didn't even say what it was. It looked like some kind of codon, but I'm not sure really what it was. But um, I don't know. I did see that really unique snake. I think uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce their name. Something Royals, K. Christiny Royals. And it was a, I think he called it the Golden Eye. Uh, mm-hmm. really unique looking snake. And I think it was a GHI blackhead Mojave Enchi, unusual looking ball python. It just, it was such a strange looking animal and funny. Cause like all those genes have been around for 20 years and no one's really combined them until just this last year. Um, really un- unique looking animal. And I've got the animals to make that. So I may try to make a couple of those, but um, I think there's still a lot of combos out there that, you know, people need to experiment with. I mean, even the VPI, Azanthic Desert Ghost, those genes have been around since for 20 years. And, you know, we're just now starting to see double visuals being made, um, a few combos. There's a ton of potential with stuff that's been out there. We just got to, I think, focus on those, see how those genes interact. And, um, you know, I think we'll be surprised. I think the Special Clown's a perfect example. You know, a lot of people kind of wrote Special off as just a, you know, another white complex snake, big deal. But, it's, it's a definitely a game changer in some different, you know, genes so far, you know, um, especially when you want to make snakes that look great when they hatch and still retain some of that as an adult. We've all seen things that look great when they hatch and as an adult, you know, they can disappoint. But certain genes like special, it definitely keeps that that color, um, you know, and it's just more fun to look at when it's a, when it's an adult. You know, that's the key. Yeah. Sometimes babies look great and adults in. But uh, that's what I think the future is producing animals that look great as an adult too, I've seen the, you know, the triple uh, recessive clown, you know, the desert ghost, Azanthic um, VPI. And we all saw it. It was a game changer, you know, for the Azanthic clown DG stuff. And that snake at a thousand grams still looks phenomenal. So I think a lot of people are going to want to dive into the stuff that's going to retain that look, you know, as it gets older and not, not, you know, muddy up or lose some of that color. So it's kind of a. Gotcha. So, uh, have you added any like new uh, genes to your collection recently? Uh, I'm trying to think. No, nothing new. Um, I only bought one snake this year. It was a OD yellow belly clown pie from my friend Ryan, a male. I needed that snake for some double heads because I have an OD clown pie, but I didn't have OD yellow belly. So I got that. That's the only snake I think I bought this year. Um, I got a good friend of mine. He's got two clutches and I'm hoping he hatches what I want. So I, it's on my list. I already told him, I said, when it comes out of the egg, if it's a male, you know, put my name on it, you know, so, <laughs> um, but that's a key snake I'll need, but I'm trying to know. I've looked at, uh, monsoon. I kind of, I think monsoon's got some cool potential. I mean, a lot of them, they look the same, but I think, you know, as a hypo, uh, it's going to look really good. I think if it interacts with pie the way we want it to, it, it'll have a lot of potential. I think, for the genes that I work with, I, I, it's got some interest. I've got some interest in that, you know, maybe, um, you know, desert ghost would look good. I think that as an exanthic would look really cool. That's the way I kind of evaluate it. I don't look at the the price of an animal. I kind of look at the potential for me with the group of animals that I have, you know, is it going to work for me? Some do, some don't, you know, and if it does, then that animal will be worth more to me. And I don't mind, you know, paying for that if the potential's there. Um, when I bought my OD, 
Ultramel pied last year. It was a chunk of money, but I needed it. And it was a perfect fit for me. Other people may not have paid that, but I needed that snake. So um, as far as anything new, though, I do like Monsoon's kind of on, on my radar. I've been watching and I think um, there's a lot to do with that because I think the only combos I've seen have just been with Kodom stuff. I haven't seen much recesses. I know people are working on it, um, but I've been looking at that. I've been looking at puzzle stuff a little bit more, um, you know, so I think if I was going to bring anything in new, it would probably be, be one of those either Monsoon or puzzle right now. What about you? Gotcha. Yeah. So I've been, I haven't brought anything new in recently, but mm -hmm. I have been looking at like a uh, puzzle heavily. And yep. so I'm really looking forward to getting into that project. Um, yep. I will get into it uh, sometime soon in the, okay. over the next few months. Um, I do agree with you about Monsoon. Like I still think there's some things to do with Monsoon. Some people have kind of written it off, but I don't think it should be written off. I just yep. think we should figure out like what it works best with. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this combo has been produced. If it has, I haven't seen it, but I think like a Monsoon Ultramel will look really good too. Yeah, yeah I, agree. I, I agree. Nut. Yep, no, I agree. Because like I said, unless I missed the photos, I just haven't seen anything uh, double. I think there was a clown made or the Moray clown. Yeah, yeah, I, that, was, that was actually pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty sick. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, before we write these things off, just dig into them. I mean, a lot of genes were written off years ago, red stripe and spot nose and special they're right back in the mix. Now, you know, they're key components in clown combos. And, you know, 10 years ago, people just kind of wrote them off as insignificant, but they're definitely game changers. You know, I mean, there, there's some good genes in there. Some of them have been around, but I agree. I think monsoon has a lot of potential with the right gene, just getting one and trying to figure out, you know, the best way uh, to work that project. So I'm pretty excited. I, I think that I like that gene. You know, maybe I'll add, add one this year or next year. But just like imagine like a monsoon ultra clown. That would be yeah. nuts. It would be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that pattern is so unique. Um, you know, yeah, the downside that people say, well, they all kind of look the same, but that's the thing. It's a base. Work with that base and see what you can add. I think, like I said, hypo, ultramel would be really cool. Desert goes. So uh it's definitely different. But yeah, the puzzle thing, my friend Barry, he's a local guy, Barry Swope, and uh, he was working with puzzle you know, years ago, and he's made some combos that if you see them in person, it's it's definitely a, a mind changer versus just seeing a photo. Um, it wasn't this year in Daytona, last year, I think he had OD Yellow Belly Hypo Puzzle on display, and we were just hanging out, and I was like, it just, it was a phenomenal snake in person, um, you know, seeing pictures of those are one thing, but it was, it was pretty impressive animal, um, so I think there's a lot of potential with that. I've seen the Ultramel, you know, puzzles in person, they look really cool, um so yeah that's another one there's a lot to do with still i think yeah i saw that ultra male puzzle in person last yeah. week nice huh nice yeah, yeah. That, that was yeah. a cool snake yeah. yeah i definitely want to get into puzzle though and like i said over the next several months i'll definitely be making some investments in the puzzle project so yeah yeah there's and there's it's one of those projects so there's still not a lot out there you know you're seeing some base stuff but um the guys that are making the, the good stuff are communicating and getting it so it's it's one of those things you almost have to make your own pieces you know, if you want to go to a certain direction or make a complex combo, you almost have to just have the stuff and make your own. There's just not a lot out there yet. You know, if they're the pieces are being made, they're just being, you know, bought up or shared among themselves. But uh, yeah, there's there's some cool, cool potential with that project for sure. And Joel hit a nice um, from State 48, hit a nice uh, puzzle animal like a couple of weeks back. I think okay. it was a bongo puzzle. It was okay. Nice. It was, was it? nice. Okay. Like it, it just kind of like looked like a layer cake. Like the pattern really? was real crazy. It was nuts. Okay. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see that one then. Okay. Huh. Yeah, he he posted it on YouTube. Um, 
And so that's okay. where I thought, but yeah, it was, it was nice, really nice. That's cool. So have there been any projects for you that have kind of been like really challenging, whether it was due to like bad odds or things just didn't go right or anything like that? Yeah. Like years ago we made OD yellow belly leopards and I was fascinated with that look, just the colors. So I wanted to make the lavender version, you know, and I bred that snake to a lavender and the first clutch, boom, we got the male, exactly what I needed, hard to make, bred him to lav snake and we made it instantly and it was fast and that never happened. So we tried to do the same thing with Ultramel and it was like just the opposite. <laughs> I get 10 eggs, I get 9.1, I can't get the combo I want. I bred some of my biggest Ultramel females because that one you got to kind of play the odds so to get the OD yellow belly leopard, you know, to hit. It shouldn't be that difficult, but for me, it was like 30 eggs. I could not get the male I needed. Um, and I kind of, I didn't give up on it, but I just, <clears throat> some of the females that I made that are hit, I just kind of put them off to the side and I raised them up. But uh, the leopard or the, the lavender version we made really fast, you know, and that, like I said, first clutch, boom, first clutch, boom. And I made a few of those in like these four to five egg clutches. But then in the seven to eight egg clutches, I just, I whiff every, all the genes like get spread out. I don't, I don't understand why that happens, but it's happened to me a lot. But um, I would say that's probably my biggest one because the lavender version was a huge hit, really cool snake. And I knew the ultra Mel would be awesome, but it's just, I don't even have, I can't even make it this year, maybe next year, you know, just, I wasn't getting the genes lined up the right way. So that was a little bit of a bummer. Um, the albino pies for me, when I bought, bought my first one, um, <clears throat> I think I bought my first albino pied male. And at the time it was like 4,000 for the albino pied. And uh, I had females ready to go and he wouldn't breed. And that was a lesson that I had learned my first learning experience about having that backup male. And I didn't have that. If I would have had a pied head lab or a pied head albino or albino head pie, I could have salvaged that season, but I had <clears throat> five female double heads ready to go and albino pied male that I thought was ready to go. And he was 700 grams. Didn't want anything to do with him, you know? So then the next year he bred a little bit, nothing. So by the time I bought that snake to the time I started producing them, there was a, about three, three to four years in between. I just had the worst luck. Um, but the first year that I made and we made 11 that year, everything lined up, but they weren't, you know, the value wasn't where they were, but we still did good with the project, you know? So that was one that didn't go the way I wanted it. Um, the old, this one ultra mill combo, it just didn't go the way I wanted, but you know, it's like you said, man, it's like, there's always something to look forward to, you know? So you strike out on one, I got four other projects that are coming. I could do good on, you know, this clutch doesn't give me the odds I need. I got a couple more that could, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a ride. You just know some good yeah. days. Bad days you know? <laughs> so, some highs and some lows. <laughs> there is, you know, it's like nothing you can do once the eggs are in incubator, you just sit back and just wait. There's nothing you can do to change or influence. You can, you know, pray to the odds guys and hope they're on your side. But uh, <laughs> we had last week was some good, good odds. I can't complain. So I know I got some, I think I got a rough, rough sail on the head for a couple clutches. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just the way it goes, you know, so what about you? Have you had anything? Yeah, that's not that's got me a little bit worried too. Uh, actually, for a while, I thought it was like the DG Clown uh, project because, yeah. uh, like last year, um, I had like that terrible look. But then this year, it kind of made up for it by having like four females, four really nice females. Yeah. But I was thinking kind of along those same lines. I was like, man, I hope I didn't use up all my luck on this one clutch because I still yeah. got a lot of clutches to still yeah. kind of had. <laughs> <laughs> same with me. I've, I've had some good ones, you know, a little a good run. You know, it's like anything. It's like, man, I just hope that a bad run's not around the corner. You know. So. <laughs> 
because uh, <laughs> when you're using double heads, you know, it can swing a lot of different ways with double heads. So my last three double head clutches were heavy on the visual. So, you know, I know what that means. <laughs> Something, <laughs> so I was lurking around the corner. I don't think I'm going to like it. So we'll keep riding it out, you know, the good luck while I can. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, because um, I got some stuff that I really need some good odds in. Like um, I got a clown pie girl that's going to lay in. So uh, oh, good. She's probably like, I don't know, like two, three weeks away from land. And that should be, hopefully, if the odds guys like smile on me, some nice visual clown combos that are oh, uh, DG pod. Oh, good. So that'll be nice. Um, be I got a confusion hit Batman that I put to Ultra Male that I'm waiting on her to lay. And okay. so hopefully uh, I get some nice stuff in that one. And hopefully it's head clown too. I probably have to test for some stuff yeah. in that clutch. Yep. Uh, I got I put that same confusion head Batman to a black pastel yellow belly clown, and okay. so she should be laying in a few weeks. Oh, I, I put two males to her. Um, either way, it's it should be a nice clutch. Uh, if the eyes guys like smile on me. Yeah. Uh, but I also put an inchy red stripe Batman to that girl. Okay. But I'm kind of hoping that the confusion head. Well, in the perfect world. It'll be like a eight egg clutch, four from one male, four from the other. But I know that ain't happening. <laughs> Good luck on it. <laughs> if I if I had to choose which male took her, um, I'm thinking I'm going with Confusion Head Batman. Okay, yeah. I, I want I, I really love Confusion. That's one of my favorite uh, codoms, yeah. and it'll be some nice uh, it'll be some nice animals from that. But yeah, no. I mean, I wouldn't be mad if it's the entry red stripe Batman because yeah. we can work with that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you got good stuff. I mean, those are all good genes to have in there. And like you said, you're really not going to be disappointed in you know anything you get in that one, you know. But um, but uh, you know, like I said, it just <clears throat> once that pairing's done, it's just you know it's in it's out of your hands. Right. Nothing you can do. Just you know, hope and hope you get what you want to get out of it. You know, <laughs> I think that's the exciting part because you know as they're pipping, the eggs are hatching. You can it just highs and lows. You know, I mean, one minute you're on top of the world, we were excited it was when my first xanthic desert ghost clutch was hatching the first head out was the visual i'm like that's great i got six more eggs to go <laughs> and that was the only one i got but it was a lot of desert ghosts in that clutch so and then sometimes as you're going through the clutch you know you're you think you struck out and the last two eggs got what you wanted you know but uh um but as long as you got those good genes like you're doing man you'll have some good stuff no matter what you know you hatch so so yeah, man. Looking forward to the rest of the stuff hatching uh, this season. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully the eyes got a smile on me. Um, <laughs> that'll be nice because a lot of that stuff, like I, I really need it for my projects and it'll really help like push the project forward. And yeah. so hopefully it works out. But. Yeah. Now, where do you want to be long term as far as the size of your collection? So long term, um, I think I kind of go back and forth. Like I, I want to be bigger than what we are now. So like right now we're getting like night we'll have like 19 clutches i think somewhere between 40 and 50 is probably like my cap as long as like i'm working another job yeah. uh 40 to 50 clutches is probably going to be the cap just because obviously there's there's like a, a lot of work that goes into it and mm -hmm. if i'm working like a full-time job uh like i do then that's a lot of work like when you combine what you're doing with the snakes and what you're doing with um with work and stuff like that. So I'm thinking about 40, 50 clutches, but I don't know. It just really yeah. kind of, it really kind of depends. Right. And so what we have kind of sort of tried not to do is like grow too, too fast and like bite off too, too much. Like yeah. each year it just kind of gets like progressively larger. 
And so like it pushes it enough to where you're not like in the exact same spot you were last year, slightly out of your comfort zone. Okay, can I deal with that? Okay, if that's cool, then maybe we can push a little bit forward, push a little yeah. bit forward. Because in theory, you're getting better on some stuff too, right? Yeah. Um, and so we're just kind of like growing. But like I say, 40, 50 clutches is probably like max, at least based on current thinking and kind of everything else, like the sum yeah. total of all other circumstances right yeah. now. That's a good way to do it. You know, I've seen people scale up too big, too quick. And doing that approach, I think, is a smart way to do it. See what you guys can do and still have a good balance, still enjoy life, still take, you know, vacations and have a full time job and not get buried, you know, by the animals. And one of my good friends was in it years ago and, and that he 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 told me and he was a big name in the business. And he said, I'm, I'm 55. I work 70 hours a week. I have two employees and I'm just miserable. And he scaled up kind of big. And uh, he regretted it. And he basically just sold and got out. So I think you're right. Just scale slow, build slow to where you have that comfort zone um, where, you know, too. And the, the end of the day, the animals got to be taken care of the right way. You don't want to compromise that or yourself or your sanity. So you got to find that balance to where you can manage it all. You know, you want to be able to sell the animals that you want to sell and, you know, keep what you want to keep. And you can still you know, replenish your animals and just upgrade to better animals and keep that 50, you know, 40 to 50, 60 clutch uh, maximum, you know, but just keep upgrading those clutches. That That's, you know, probably a good way of doing it versus going too big, too quick. Cause you know, one disruption in the market and kind of seeing that now uh, it can be difficult. I know I wouldn't want five to 10,000 babies, you know, certain times it just, it's a lot to have. I've never had that yeah. many. The most we ever did was 132 clutches and it was a lot that year, you know, but everything was gone and we we're able to move it. But like you, I work a full-time job and you're just, I didn't have really any spare time that year. Um, so it was a lot. I don't know if I'd want to do that many again. That was a lot. What year was that? Uh, it was two years ago. So. Okay. So it was a good yeah, year to have it. What's that? As far as like sales goes. I said it was, was good. a good year to have that many as far as sales. It was, it was. You're absolutely right. It was good. And then, you know, the COVID year, I mean, it was a good. And then the next year we did 110, no problem. And then this year we kind of scaled back, you know, for a few different reasons, a little bit, kind of building more towards this year because I had different males coming online. Uh, a lot of my females had gone back to back. Um, so I was like, this is a good year to kind of focus on the cert certain, certain projects I need. And I think we'll be right around, I think it was – 60 61 clutches this year so i think that's what it was or yeah i think it was right on 61 clutches so and that's fine for me uh this season but no that's a good idea just kind of keep it manageable don't get overwhelmed you know with things but you know if you start doing shows and networking you know you'll be able to move those animals you know i think on a regular basis so uh it's a good way of doing it okay hey i want to take a brief pause for the calls to shout out sure. to the sponsors uh real quick and then when we come back uh, I actually want to talk about shows um, some sure. more in depth. So uh, real quick sponsor break. Yeah. Cool, man. So shout out to the sponsors, man. Appreciate you, Jason. Appreciate you, Matt. Really appreciate all the support. So George, getting back into the, uh, to the conversation about shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. So how long have you been vending the shows? We've been vending off and on, I'd say, I think about seven years now, even though I was always at the shows and a lot of times, we would be at the shows with animals and just, you know, deal with other vendors or have deals set up. But as far as officially setting up my displays with acrylics, it's been, I think we're on about uh, year seven 
Um, I haven't vented outside of Florida. You know, we are trying to get into Tinley and uh, Arlington, but um, with a full-time job, it had been challenging in the past. So now we have a little bit more freedom. So I'd like to do some more out of state, some out of state shows, but um, it's a lot of fun. Meet a lot of cool people. You can network. And, you know, a lot of the people we meet too, don't really go online, you know? So I've gotten some really good tips on um, like, gray banded Kings, they can be a real pain in the butt to get started, but I've run across people at shows, older breeders who don't go online, but they've given me tips on how they do things. And I never would have known that had I not been set up at a show, but, um, but yeah, we're going about seven years right now. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So talk about your process, like for getting prepared for the show, how do you get your animals ready? How do you get your supplies? Like, can you walk us through like that whole process? Yeah. It's funny. Cause like Daytona, it's like, <laughs> You know, we do shows, but Daytona is a total, totally different, you know, animal. And I'm sure Tinley's the same way. But, um, you know, first, I already got kind of the group of animals I'm going to take. And I don't feed them about seven days before a show. You know, it just reduces any mess I may have in the acrylics. And it's just better for digestion. I don't want to be transporting animals if they haven't digested. So that's like the first step. You know, it's just we don't feed the small stuff before we take it to the shows. I pretty much already know what I'm going to bring at that point. Um you know, my, my large bins basically is show ready. Everything's in it from bags, cups, extra alpha dry, uh, paper towels, anything to clean the acrylic, everything that is related to that show is in one bin. And there's a divider. And then we keep our backup animals in that bin. I usually bring Daytona will bring 30 to 40 backup animals. Smaller shows will bring less. Um, so that's kind of what we do there. And, um, I do still leave some of the acrylics marked with the markers because a lot of the same combos are going to go right back in there again, but everything is in one spot. So it's easy to not, it's easy for me to remember to bring everything. So I don't forget. So basically my one area with all my show stuff, if it's empty, everything's in the van, then I'm good. You know, I don't forget anything that way. Um, so we do that, make sure that our card readers are charged up. And that's one of the first things I do when I'm setting up on a Friday is get the Wi-Fi password, make sure everything's working good. Always have a backup. We have a plug-in reader on our phone as a backup. Um, sometimes the buildings, the Wi-Fi is not great or there's issues, but most of the time it's pretty good. Daytona was it was easy. Make sure we always bring extra power cord, uh, light strip just in case something happens. Uh, lights are very you know important to have in some of these shows, so we'll always bring a backup power strip just in case. Um, but everything is contained. The container with my lights holds three sets of lights, three three power supplies, three brackets that we made. So just everything is contained. Um, and I just try to reduce it down to what I just need. At first, we were bringing things I didn't need, too many containers. And we've kind of scaled it down to just what we need. Um, but everything's together in a bin. So the only thing I don't keep in there are the electrical stuff. Like I bring a Bluetooth speaker for music when we're setting up. And then my my readers, my, my card readers, um, I charge those before but everything else is contained in, in one container just so I don't forget anything. It's just easier that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, that was actually a, a really good tip on something like you it's relatively small, but I know like for me, like with the power strip tip that you yeah. gave me, we were in Daytona about making yeah. sure that the socket is or uh, the plug-in piece is turned the right way. So you can like maximize like yeah. uh, the usage of it. Like I wouldn't have thought about that and I would have bought the wrong one. Yeah. And then I'd be like, Dang. <laughs> well, that, that, that's one of those little tips that happened to me. You know, I bought this great five foot power strip with a bunch of plugins, but the power supply that came with those lights are the blocks. And when you put them, like I showed you front to back, you miss half of the, the, the plugs. They just won't fit. So then I got another one with they were turned sideways and it's a 
uh, power strip that's much smaller, but I can plug more into it. So that's just, you know, I still use both, but yeah, that little thing like that can make a big difference when you're at a show. And once you're there, you're kind of, you know, you're stuck. Um, there was another breeder there this past week in Daytona and he was stressed out. I didn't know him that well. And we talked a little bit and I said, what, what's wrong? He goes, I don't have an Allen set. I don't know where a Walmart is. I'm from out of state. I'm like, no problem. I got three extra ones. They come with the lights and I save them. And I gave him a, uh, just one little Allen set, but it really kind of had him stressed out because he couldn't adjust the lights. He was freaking out. He had no way. I'm like, I got an extra one. So I just gave it to him. But little things like that. It's like once once you get burned once, you don't let it happen again. So now I kind of got everything I need, backups, you know, tools. Um, and we're pretty dialed in now. I don't really have any surprises when I'm at a show. But yeah, the power strip thing is something that you wouldn't think about until you do it. And you're like, great, that's not going to work. Or like taping down the the power cords because usually with a power block at the shows is well behind us. So, you know, we just use tape and tape the cords down, little things like that. Because I've seen people literally trip over their own power cords and knock stuff down. So, just, you know, tough. always keep removable painter's tape. Easy to apply, easy to pull up when you're done, um, you know, but little things like that, you know, we just keep all contained in one container. So before you start putting everything in the one container, did you have like a checklist? Yeah, I did. Okay. I had a little checklist of everything I needed, you know, and then uh, some things I scratched off. Uh, I was like, sometimes I was just bringing too much stuff. So I don't bring as much alpha dry as I used to. Uh, but now what I am doing, and I saw some other, Steve was doing it from Steve's Morris's, just getting those small compact um, shop vacs. And if they do make a mess, it's so much easier to clean them, especially in the corners. So we did that in Daytona for the first time as a rechargeable shop vac. And, you know, in the morning, if there was one that pooped in there, just shop vac it out. And then we always keep uh, small squirt bottles of just regular water and then we'll clean it up with water and then paper towels and add the alpha dry in it but that's something i've added we do little squirt bottles now the short ones so they can fit in the back of my acrylic so everything's i think you saw how we were set up you know the back of our displays are hollow so i can store stuff i'll stage bags and cups everything i need there so it's just a quick you know reach away we're not tripping over each other usually it's me and my niece Sometimes we'll have a third person for a busy show, but I kind of want every display area to be self-contained. So we'll keep, you know, uh, spread out on uh, deli cups and bags. So it's an easy access for everything. But yeah, we had a checklist, some things I took off, a few little things I added. Um, but now it's just everything's in that box. You know, if I run low at the end of a show, I'll, I'll add to it, you know. So yeah, we're got it dialed in pretty good now. Gotcha. How many shows are you doing per year now? Oh, what are we doing? I think seven. We do two Tampa's, two, or I'm sorry, we do um, three Tampa, three Orlando, and then Daytona, you know, okay. and, and that's pretty much it. They're all relatively close to where I live. Tampa's the furthest at maybe two hours, so it's all relatively close. Um, but like I said, at some point, I'm still trying to get into Tinley and Arlington. You know, I'd love to do those shows. I've never attended Tinley. Have you attended it? Yeah, so I went last year in October. Okay. Yeah, that was the only time I went, though, was okay. last year. I was planning to go this year, but just because of, like, other commitments, I'm not going to be able to make it. Okay. But, yeah, I definitely want to get back there, like, soon. Though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've never. It's, it's different than Daytona. Like, there's a ton of people there just, like, at Daytona, but it's a lot more spread out at Daytona than it is yeah. at Tinley. Okay. Yeah. And I've it, heard – I know friends of mine that have done both. They say the same thing. Daytona venue and location is awesome because everything – you know, you can walk from the Ocean Center to the beach, to the restaurants, movie theaters, everything you want there. Where Tinley is just a little different. You know, it's not as much to do outside of the show as there is in Daytona. But um, 
I definitely want to go. You know, I'll, most of my friends then Daytona, so it'd be easy. Or I'm sorry, Ben Tinley, and I could definitely carpool. It's not a problem. It's just trying to get in there has been a challenge. So um, yeah, that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Yeah, it's definitely worth going. Yeah. Um, I highly advise it. Yeah. I still haven't been to the Arlington show. Have you been to the Arlington? Show? I have not. No. Yeah, not. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I still haven't been to that one. Uh, definitely want to get to like one of the West Coast shows, like a Pomona or Anaheim, yeah. something like that too. That'd be fun. Yeah. I had uh, one of my friends went out there and he said it was cool. And I got a friend that lives in Torrance and um, he said out there, you'll see some different species. A lot of the guys, the tortoise breeders and a lot of the iguana, the cyclor breeders are out there. So they said, you'll see some different species versus, you know, the East coast shows. So yeah, I wouldn't mind going out there and seeing, you know, the Pomona show, just see some, some different stuff. So uh, I would be open to that. Gotcha. And then obviously like at Tinley, you see like retics and berms and like yeah, stuff yeah. that you won't see in Florida. Don't see that anymore. No, we used to, but not anymore. So yeah, that'd be kind of cool to see some of that stuff. I still like looking at that stuff, you know, but uh, I wouldn't want to go through the hassles of trying to own one again, but um, yeah, that'd right. be something different. I'd like to see that. And I know some of the big monitor breeders are going to be at, at Tinley as well. So I, like I said, I've always kept multiple species. So, you know, outside of all pythons, I still like looking at reptiles, you know, no matter what they are. So I still, I would be interested in going out just as a spectator, not a vendor too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's 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 nice, man. Like it's it's a good time. Yeah. If you went to Tinley, like just as a spectator, would you drive? Would would you like ride with some of your friends, or would you fly up there? Uh man, I hate driving, but I don't like flying. <laughs> well, it's funny because like me and Dale were talking about going to Tinley. I said, "Look, man, I don't like to drive. I'll feed you Red Bulls all all the you you just keep driving when you want another one. Wake me up. Like, I hate driving, but." Um, I, I would probably carpool with a friend, you know, just to, to I know it's a, for me, for us, it's roughly 18 hours, you know, which to me is agonizing to think about, but that's a um, long drive. That's a long haul, man. That's just a, that's long, a long time. Yeah. I, know, I drive six hours of the keys and when I get out, I feel like the tin man, I can barely move. So I, my <laughs> knees and back are, would be killing me at that at an 18 hour drive. But, uh, I would probably ride with a friend, you know, because if I did buy animals and I could just bring them right back with me versus having them shipped. But I have enough friends from Florida that go to Tinley, you know, like last year uh, I sent some stuff with my friend. He brought some stuff up and then, uh, you know, had somebody bring something back down, you know, because a lot of my local friends that live within an hour go to Tinley. So um, I can do that. But I would probably just carpool with one of them just to hang out and talk on the way versus the um, and, and two, if I'm going to do that, I would probably help them set up. And, you know, I, I don't mind doing that. I think that would be more fun than flying in, you know, get up there, help them set up and get prepped and. You know, that's probably what I would do. Yeah, anyway, you cut it like eighteen hours. It's a long drive, but long. at least if you ride with the right people, you it's have fun. a good time. Yeah, yeah, have a good time. Exactly. Good road trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what's the hardest part like about like the show and like just getting set up for you? Like, is there anything that's challenging about it to you, or are you just like it's just like another day in the office for you at this point? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, at first it was just nervous. You know, we get, always get nervous. We always try to make sure everything's going to work, but yeah, I think right now we've done enough of them where, um, you know, no, nothing really to be nervous about. I mean, we, like I said, I haven't left Florida, um, but, um, just load in, load out. We've got everything dialed in right now. So, um, you know, I guess the only thing that adds anxiety to it would be if something were to happen, you know, on the way to the show, you know, vehicle breakdown or something happened in the summer and you got animals, you know, that would be like my biggest fear. But um, as far as that, once we're at the venue, 
Um, you know, everything seems to go pretty smooth. Um, you know, Daytona is just so much going on. We get there early to set up so we can spend time with our friends, but, uh, we've got that one kind of dialed in. We get in there early, set up early. Um, we prep everything Wednesday night, load Wednesday night. So basically Thursday morning, I'm loading the live animals in the, um, uh, in the van, everything. And we're done. We're going over there. So we have a, a small window on Thursday to set up and we're usually done and then we can hang out with everybody, you know? So, you know, you always want to have you know, a good display. You always want to have fun. You, you always want, um, um, you know, people to kind of be excited when they come up to the table. And I like seeing my friends. That's the nice thing about Daytona. You know, that's the only time of year that we see people from out of state, you know, and it's like when we see them, the conversation picks up right where I left off last year, you know, and you remember the projects they're working on. Oh, I, mean, I saw like Jason, you know, I saw he has out that OD yellow belly dream sickle. You know, that's the first thing I said when I saw him, like, man, I think was awesome. You know, I saw pictures and he was excited. And he should be. It was, it was a pretty cool snake. And yeah. I try to try to try to slide away from him, but he, he's going to hang on to that. Old <laughs> mail too, you know? like, yeah, I need a mail, but um, you know, so it's, that's what I like. Sometimes I like getting away from the table, you know, being on the other side, walking around, hanging out with people and, and all, you know, it's tough in Daytona because that building's so big, you know, it, it's, you I mean, you got to Uber to the other side sometimes, you got another <laughs> room and, you know, you, my niece gets mad at me because she's like, you say you're going to be gone for 10 minutes and then you're gone for 30 minutes. You know, I'm like, I know, I know, but I only see these people once a year. So um, that's probably the hardest part for me is staying disciplined behind a table the whole time, you know, I'm looking around all the time, wanting to go see sus stuff. And, you know, I hear about Daytona. Somebody said, Oh, Hey, did you see those lace monitors? And boom, I was gone. I like lace monitors. So I just, <laughs> you know, so she gets mad at me, but she's old enough where she can run everything, you know, uh, when I'm not at the table. So that helps the older she got the, you know, more freedom I have to run around a little bit of show, but that's probably the hardest <laughs> part for me is staying behind the table. <laughs> yeah. It's hard just to walk like straight, one play from point A to point B. Oh, yeah. Because you can't like you either can't. an animal gonna catch your eye or you're gonna oh, see somebody, a conversation yep. gonna happen. Like it's just hard to get like back yep. and forth, like uninterrupted. Like I just right. happen. It doesn't no, you're right. Or you like say you see something out of the corner of your eye and then don't you know, you'll run across, like you said, a friend and they'll say, Hey, did you see so and so's got this? And that changes your whole dynamic, your whole plan is gone, <laughs> right? And then now you're running to this side and that side. I know I miss stuff there, you know, Daytona. I try to see everything, but I know I don't see it, you know. But yeah, that's probably the biggest challenge for me is just, you know, staying focused on on one thing at those shows. Is the big shows. I'm sure Tilly's going to be the same way. It's oh yeah, probably oh, going to yeah. be all over the place, you know, if I ever go up to that show. So we'll see. But uh, I know um, I miss probably a ton of stuff at Daytona though, just because yeah. I was. I was running my mouth so much. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was just talking to like everybody. What I don't do well is remember to take a picture with people. I don't do that well. Cause okay. I get like, so like involved in the conversation and just like enjoying the moment that yeah. I forget all about like taking a picture. So I got to yeah. do better with that. Okay. But like I said, um, I was just running my mouth like the whole time. You know, and they say if you, if you enjoy doing it, it goes by fast, and it does. You know, when next thing you know, another thirty minutes goes by in a, in a conversation, um, but it's fun. And I'm like, you know, I like to enjoy joking with people and hanging out. And you know, a good friend of mine comes down every year. He's a, he's a been in it for a long time, and I think four years ago he got stung by a jellyfish in the beach, and we were giving him, we were making fun of him because he got the jellyfish got up in his shorts and stung him like. <laughs> 
like where it probably really hurt. And we still bring it up. I said, Hey man, that jellyfish is waiting for you, you know? And he's like, Oh, shut up. But you know, every year we bring that conversation up every, he knows I'm going to say it. Cause it was funny. You know, he couldn't, and it happened, I think on a Friday. So on a Saturday when he was in the show, he was walking kind of funny. <laughs> you know, oh, man. He didn't want to admit what happened because a friend of his told me what happened. I was like, Oh, he didn't mention that. So, you know, but those conversations, they recycle every year, you know, every year. So, uh, I'm like you, I talk a lot at the shows and next thing you know, 30 minutes here, 20 minutes there. And, you know, then the show's over for the day. So, um, you know, but that's just the way it goes at those shows, man. Yeah. This is the second Daytona in a row that I didn't pick up any animals. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I picked up uh, a few racks this year. I picked up oh, good. four racks this year. What'd you get? ARS? No, I got uh two of the 45 tub hatchling racks. Okay. From Chris. And then okay. I got two of the, like those 36 high uh v18 okay so i got two of those That's so good. four all together i came to pick up three and then he had like one extra of the grow out so i was like i might as well get it since i'm yeah. here because like the shipping is ridiculous so i was like yeah. man i'm here I might as well just go on and get it and yep. i don't need it right this second but i will need it soon so I might as well just go on and get it now yeah, that's a good idea because I think shipping costs on everything are going to go up because uh, yellow uh, transportation, you know, they, they were one of the largest um, shipping and transportation uh, companies in the country. They closed up because when we bought recently, me and some friends just bought uh, three pallets of the cocoa, uh, the pro cocoa, and uh, we got in right before that happened. And uh, the shipping costs are going to start going up. So that's a smart move. Get it while you can get it when it's right there. Now, were you looking for? A specific animal in Daytona, you just couldn't find it, or you just didn't have anything that you were really trying to add right now. So I wasn't looking for like anything in specific, anything specific uh, for Daytona. In fact, I told myself like before I went that. Well, I take that back. I wasn't looking for any specific s snakes in Daytona. Okay. I did say if I could get this one tarantula, which was a piece of theria uh, vitata, that I would oh, get wow. that one. But you can't sell it across state lines. But I didn't know that like even like an out-of-state vendor couldn't bring it with them and sell it while they're in the state. But I guess you can't do that either because of uh, society's protection. And so okay. like the vendor that I know carries them, they didn't have any either. And I didn't okay. know it um at the time because I didn't understand like how all that worked. But now, now I know. And so okay. like that was like the only living creature that I was going to buy if I saw that one. Um, <laughs> didn't buy that. And um. It, it was hard not to buy some stuff because I seen some really nice stuff, but I tried to be like disciplined. Yeah. And say, hey, I'm not gonna get anything, and I and I didn't. That's good. You're That's good. good. That's important. It's got to have discipline because you can get in trouble if you don't. <laughs> you really can. You really can. And I saw some stuff that I was real tempting, very yeah. tempting stuff. Yeah, it's tough, and you never know what you're gonna see there. You know, at the shows, I'm the same way. Sometimes you'll, you know, you'll see something that you didn't expect. But I'm like you, like. It, Gotta try to be disciplined. Uh, now, I mean, if there was a certain animal that I needed, you know, I, I, I didn't bring anything home from Daytona. The only thing I was close on were a couple of tree monitors. Uh, there was a guy there that has some nice captive born tree monitors, you know, which I, I keep tree monitors too, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, I was like you, I was real disciplined and, you know, try to just stay focused, um, you know, because looks like this year I'll make a lot, some of the stuff I needed. Um, there's one snake I cannot make that I hope my friend hatches out. Like I talked about, but other than that, I think I'll be okay. But yeah, you never know, man. That's nice thing. You got some of these small breeders that don't have a large footprint online. So you never know what you're going to see at a show. You know, you might see a really good breeder. I know some of them and they don't post much. They don't do the online thing, but they have amazing animals. So that's another key to, into going into these shows is, 
you know, you may see or connect with somebody that you didn't even know existed, but they got right. really nice stuff. Cause I got friends like that, you know, they don't post much, but they got really cool stuff. So, um, you know, not everybody does the online thing. True. True. Yeah. I really want to see like what I make this year. Like it's certain projects that I know I'm not making anything in it because I don't have anything like puzzle. Like at some point I'll make a purchase for puzzle, but yeah. a lot of stuff I want to see like what I make, see where I'm at. And then we'll, we'll probably like pick up like, a handful of things like maybe yeah. early next year but okay. i'm not i'm trying not to pick up a ton just because like i'm producing a lot more now yeah and so like i'm being like even more selective with what i pick up yeah yeah that's good and in today's market you know you can do that you know 15 years ago 20 years ago you didn't have a lot of options you got options now you know back then if there was a male dream sickle available it was 30 grand if you didn't want it there were three other people that were going to buy it now it's you know you have options there are more everything's more affordable you know there are some projects that are still difficult to find pieces for but you know now it's just a little bit easier to find the stuff um than it was a long time ago so you know you can pick those combos now you know when you want to get into that clown pie stuff you know you can pick better combos than what was available you know 15 years ago so that's uh, you can be more selective you know so that's a that's a good idea yeah yeah um definitely again looking forward to that puzzle stuff like you got me thinking about it now man like yeah <laughs> yeah there was some cool stuff i saw the hype of the uh the ultramel one you know there i think my friend ended up with that snake he was looking at it pretty hard he's got some stuff so yeah let me know when you're ready i got a good good connection on that he's got some nice stuff but yeah i'm, I'm looking at it. i don't have anything puzzle so i'd be starting from ground zero unless i could get some nice females you know um but i, I have nothing for it so i'd be starting all at the beginning, you know, and either make my own parts. Um, I like the desert ghost puzzle stuff, so I'd have to start from scratch, you know, but or just see what's out there for females. I don't know what's out there for visual females right now, but yeah, that's a pretty cool project. It's been kind of under the radar for a while, you know, I think. Yeah, yeah. Are you talking about Barry? Um, to yeah. get into the puzzle yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's got some, yeah. Great stuff. yeah. So you told me, and then someone else told me, uh, before today, like he had some killer puzzle stuff he's got neat stuff he's been working puzzle for quite a while when a lot of people weren't paying attention to it he's always got a knack for stuff that other people overlook but he sees you know the the potential in those projects and then it seems like three to five years later everybody else kind of catches up to it you know but he was making cool puzzle stuff years ago and i know last year in daytona the od yellow belly uh hypo puzzle i mean that snake was just phenomenal it's be nice. it was awesome like the od yellow belly it just gave it that nice rich color um it, it was a nice snake you know it, it was a beautiful snake so yeah he he's got some really cool stuff i don't know what he's hatching now we talked a little bit in daytona we had dinner uh one night but we talked about all kinds of stuff and didn't even talk about that so i'm not real sure what all he's got coming but yeah he's he's on the cutting edge when it comes to ultra or the uh, puzzle stuff i know he's working hypo and ultramel so he's he's got some big projects going with that okay okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i heard he had some killer stuff so i'll yeah. definitely be looking into that yeah yeah he's cool did you did you meet him at all in daytona or no i did uh i think yeah. i met him like that thursday night okay okay yeah 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 it's tough to keep up with everybody in daytona because we all have plans dinner plans and it's just everything you know there's i know we ate at weed out most every night when we're there but it's you know, it starts off at three to five people, then it's 15 to 20, you know, it's, uh, but anyway, it's a lot of fun. That's the fun part about Daytona. I think it's almost 50, 50 selling snakes is fun there, but the socializing and the networking there is, is just as fun, if not more fun. Yeah. I have more fun. Like every year I go, it gets like more yeah. and more fun. So yeah, 
And it will. And as more people recognize you too, you know, that, that it's going to slow you down at the shows because everybody's going to see you <laughs> want to take pictures. And uh, one of my friends is a big, big uh, online personality and he loves coming to the shows. He's like, but man, he's like, I take pictures. He's like, I can't move. I get five steps and somebody will <laughs> take a picture, seven steps, somebody else. So, he, you know, but that's what he's built. He's like, I don't mind doing it. He's like, but it's just, I can't see everything at the show. Cause you know, I'm, I'm talking to people who follow me online and he, he likes it, but uh, it's tough to make. You almost have to wear a disguise when you go to a show, just so you can see stuff, you know, a beard and a mask and a hat. So you don't recognize you. You can at least look at the animals, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> Wear those glasses with like, the big nose and the mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mustache and everything. <laughs> just kind of look around and just, you know, and then when you're done, then take it off and do the social thing. But yeah, you got to kind of go undercover when you're at some of those shows, you know. But uh, but that's a good time. I enjoy that. I mean, we don't do a lot of online, but, you know, in Daytona, we have people that come up. Oh, hey, man, I follow you. We had a guy from Thailand that came up and, um, you know, we communicated the best we could because I don't speak Thai. And he, his English was, it was good enough. So we communicated. He'd been following me online for you know a couple of years, and I recognized his name, and you know we talked for a little while. He came all the way from Thailand to the show, so it was cool. It was a good time, you know. I like seeing people in person, you know, that I've been corresponding with online, so I enjoy that stuff. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah. All right, bro. So um, I do I do kind of like summarize like a few things, and so like I guess let's start here. Uh, so what's next for for you in the business? Uh, try to expand on the shows that I'm doing. Um, I think as far as the size of the collection, I'm, I'm, I'm right where I want to be. I, I'm in that 80 to 120 uh, clutch range. You know, if I wanted to go a little more, I could. Um, but probably would be just to, to hit some more shows, um, you know, get out of state and just do some of that. Because as much as I talk about networking and meeting people at shows, I really don't go out of state much. So that'd probably be my next big thing is I just get out and do some of these other shows, and just meet different people in some of these other places. Um, for me, that would probably be the next, you know, big thing. As far as the animal side of it, there's a couple projects I'm still building, you know, but a lot of them are starting to kind of get to that point that I wanted them to be three and five, seven years ago. Um, we've got a pretty good group of animals coming online this year and then next year. So as far as the production, all that, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. Um, but at some point I would have to put up a separate building, um, you know, for my non-ball python stuff. So my goal would be to build a building just for ball, uh, just for my ball pythons and then kind of transform my current building uh, more so into tree monitors and some of the other species that I keep. Uh, I have a divider now, but I want to have a bigger building. So I definitely want to expand on the tree monitors. Uh, I really like those a lot. They're getting harder to, to come by. And at some point, they may not, may not see too many of them brought in anymore. So they are being captive bred, which is good, but uh, that'd probably be my next couple steps. Just kind of, you know, I'm kind of topped out with the ball python collection I've got now. Just upgrade as usual, like most people are doing, but then get out and do some other shows, you know, outside of Florida. Just meet a new set of people. That's what I'd like to do. Gotcha. Yeah. About how many uh, ball pythons do you have all together? Uh, right now, as far as adults or sub adults, I think I'm right around 180 to 200 on the females. Um, and I'm usually maintain about 40 to 50 males. So I'm going to, some of those males are backups. Um, I don't really need to have two of some of those, but, uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. But I, I want the ability to, if I, if I wanted to, like if a new market opened up, if I wanted to scale up and do 150 clutches, I could do it, but I don't want to do that every year. You know, I want to keep it in that 80 to 120 range. So far, that's a good comfort zone for me. 
Um, you know, so that's kind of where I'm at. And my building is 800 square feet. So I have plenty of room for that amount of animals. You know, I don't, I don't want to really go any bigger than that. Just upgrade the animals that I already have. So. Um, gotcha. Yeah. That's smart too. Like to have like a little bit extra um, on hand, just in case like just something case. pops and then you can yeah. scale up. Yeah. I mean, look at COVID. COVID was a good example. A lot of people, and I did it too. We kind of backed off during the COVID year because we weren't sure what was going to happen. I mean, who would have thought people would be buying more snakes you know, when they couldn't leave the house, but you know, the government stim the, uh, stimulus money and people sitting there watching TV or just watching online, they couldn't do anything. So, I mean, we were shipping snakes out every week more than I'd ever ship. So I like to have the idea of just having, you know, even if it's just pies, um, just to have a little extra there. So if, you know, something changed, could scale up a little bit, but I wouldn't want to have to do that all the time, you know, just kind of maintain that 80 to hundred clutch range, maybe 15 to 20 holdbacks a year of just key stuff. And then, you know, just move the rest, um, you know, cause we sell stuff overseas too, you know, we can export. So we're not really confined to just the U S when it comes to sales, we can move stuff overseas. So um, for me, that's a good spot. I can liquidate that many animals, keep what I want and fit everything uh, comfortably in my building. Gotcha. In terms of like snakes that sell at shows, like maybe outside of like Daytona, what have you found to be the snakes that sell the most at the shows? Yeah, the, it's funny, like some of the stuff that people have kind of overlooked. I mean, yeah, you still sell, you know, the snakes that are eye appealing, you know, the, the bright aesthetics, you know, of course, the albino or the pides, um, the Lucy's, you know, things like uh, hypo GHI Mojave's, you know, it's something a lot of people make. We sell, you know, two to four almost every show because you just don't see them very much, you know, just weird little niche animals like that um we made some like super od leopard yellow belly stuff not groundbreaking but they're really cool looking snakes and we sold you know some of those so usually if the the new person is getting into it they're looking for the you know the brighter colors the animals like that um that's what i'm seeing you know but you never know i mean we've had some small like uh orlando or uh, tampa repticon and you'll get that serious breeder that'll come in and they're looking for, you know, that high end animal. So you just never know who's going to come up to the table at those shows. You know, um, it's, 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 it can be just about everywhere, but usually, you know, the brighter colors, those type of animals attract the newer people into the hobby. Um, you know, so that's what I'm seeing anyway. Gotcha. And so we were chatting about, uh, doing some shows like out of state too, like, Okay. Is originally like on kind of like the list of shows we want to do would be like Tampa, Orlando, and maybe some of the other local shows, maybe Daytona at some point too. But uh, what about like Georgia and North Carolina or South Carolina? Have you looked at any of those areas? Yeah, I definitely would like to. I know some of those could be harder to get into, but a friend of mine went and did Raleigh and he had a great show. He said it was awesome. And those are not that far away. So no, I've definitely looked at uh, vending and getting into some of those shows too. So that is a plan as a season, this you know, I got a couple of hopeful shows I can get into, you know, this year. We'll see what happens. But no, I've definitely looked at some of those shows because those are not really that far of a drive for me. Um, you know, just some of those shows, though, they're booked up. It's hard. Like Tampa, I think, has been booked up. It's hard to even get into Tampa. You know, oh, really? A, yeah. So we have a, a standing group of tables that we get every time. But uh, it's, if you're outside trying to get into those shows now, some of them are sold out. So that's the challenge right now is just getting being able to get tables. So um that's what we're seeing you know anyway so but no i definitely want to hit some of those east coast you know shows gotcha so i should probably start trying to get into the show now huh i would at least get on the list yeah if you're okay. gonna do tampa i mean if you're planning on doing tampa in the fall is that your plan the november show not uh this year so it'll be january oh. before i do like oh, any okay. shows 
And so like some point next year, like once or twice next year, I would like to do it if I can get in the show. Yeah. Yeah. I would the earlier, the better. I don't know if they've opened up. Um, we kind of have a standing group of tables all the time at those shows, uh, the Orlando and the Tampa. So I don't know how early they open it up, but yeah, I would, I would definitely watch that and try to get in as early as you can, at least get on the list. So if people back out, then, you know, you can, you can get in there. So, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Really, That's good to know. Yeah. 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 And let me know on the Tampa show, if you, um, if you're going to make it by then sometimes we have a, a group of eight tables and occasionally we'll have a spare table available just depending on you know different things so that's always something to keep in mind too that one we might be able to help you out with that one you know so okay yeah okay yeah i appreciate that yeah yeah no problem yeah definitely looking forward to getting into it like i said we was we were going to try to do like six shows um okay. i don't know if it's biting off more than we can chew yeah but that's what the current thinking is do like six shows so that's kind of like every other month basically yeah, that's and that's plenty of time in between shows for the animals. I got friends that hit, you know, twelve to fifteen shows, and to me, that's a lot. I'd have a hard time. I couldn't do that with my my normal job, but like you with six, that would be. I think that'd be good, you know, good way to kind of get your feet wet in the shows and you know give yourself time in between them to prepare. Um, you know, the animals time to feed. You know, in between, I don't. I've never done back to back shows. I just think it's a lot. Um, you know, so I've never really done that. But no, I, I think six a year is fairly manageable. You know, it is. I think. Gotcha. All right. And so like, what's one piece of advice that you would give like a new breeder uh, getting into the industry slash hobby right now? I would say, and I, I, this is something I brought up on the other podcast. The one thing that I think that to me is the biggest thing that I had to learn some of it the hard way and everybody, it doesn't matter how much money you have when you get into this, the size of your facility, if you don't have the patience to do it, you're not going to be successful. You know, I mean, I've seen people jump into this thing with huge bankrolls, big buildings, and they think they want results right now. I mean, they're buying adults and they're thinking in two years, three years, it's going to be cranking. It doesn't always work that way. So if you don't have the patience to see these things out long-term, people can get frustrated and struggle. So I think that's a one common denominator that we all have, whether we have a spare bedroom with 10 snakes or a warehouse with, you know, 3000, if you don't have the patience for those to build those projects, you know, you, you could get, people can easily get frustrated, you know, with that. Cause this stuff that, you know, other guys like, you know, Barry and Jason and me and Dale are hatching now, this stuff was, was implanted, you know, eight, 10 years ago. This isn't the stuff we just thought about two years ago. I mean, some projects, yeah, three years ago and it's, it's developed, but you know, for the most part, you got to have the long-term patience for stuff and, and deal with, you know, the frustrating odds and not getting what you want. Um, Cause some people, I think if they look at it too much as an investment, they can be disappointed. Cause I've had friends who were in other types of businesses and they invest and the money starts rolling in. I'm like this, that can happen, but you can also got to be prepared for losses. I mean, they're live animals. They're, like you said, they're going to do what they want. They can be unpredictable. Um, so it doesn't matter how much money you got, how big your facility is. If you don't have the patience to build those projects and deal with the setbacks, you know, I think some people can get frustrated. It's a long wait. I mean, we'll wait years to get a pairing. And then if you whiff on the odds, you got to wait another year. You know, it's not like other animals. I spoke to somebody recently and they were breeding, I think it was horses and they got into ball pythons and I'm like, and they're telling me about the horse thing. I'm like, this is totally different than, you know, horses. Is. I mean, <laughs> I've never bred horses, but you know, it's, it's a lot different, you know? So it's not like, you know, dogs or cats, it's just different. And if you don't have the patience, I think would be the biggest thing that separates. I think that all of this, whether like I said, it's money, facility, whatever you got, 
we all got to have it, whether the smallest guy or the biggest guy, you got to have patience to, to build this stuff up. And then it will. I think years ago in Daytona, when Ozzy was setting up, he doesn't come to Daytona anymore, I don't think, but he was actually set up next to us and we were talking, you know, a good conversation. And uh, there was another guy at the table and a young kid, he's a really good kid. And um, he was saying, it's like planting trees, you know, you got to plant these trees now and it takes years for them to produce. But when they do it, you know, it's going to continue to grow, but you got to have that. You know, I've seen people come in, like I said, and buy a bunch of adults, throw a bunch of stuff together and then are disappointed because they're not producing the way that they thought they were going to produce. You know, you're not going to get a hundred percent out of your, every female you have. So everybody runs different. I usually run in the 70, 80% range for the amount of females I breed to the eggs that I guess, or that the snakes that ovulate. So um, I'd say that's probably just the biggest thing to me is just the patience. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you will, I mean, I ain't been in it that long, but like I've already experienced just in a little bit of time that I've been in it's been some highs, it's been some lows, but yeah. Yeah. And I know too, yeah. you being a, a Gator fan like me, there's times when you feel like Steve Sperrier throwing that clipboard on the ground. <laughs> like you just <laughs> don't get what you want. Like that should not have happened. How does this happen? You know, visor goes one way, clipboard goes the other. So uh, we've all kind of been there in our, you know, in, in our reptile room, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a chance by the chance to uh, watch the Swamp Kings documentary? On no, Netflix? I haven't. I, I just got reminded of it today because I saw it pop up on my phone. Have you watched it? Yeah, we watched it yesterday for the okay. first time. Was yeah. it good? There's like three or four episodes, maybe even okay. five. But yeah, okay. it was good. It I enjoyed okay. it. Okay, yeah, I want to see like, that. It was some I stuff they left out, but then at the same time, you probably did. If, if you think about it, they probably weren't going to put some of that stuff in there anyway. But yeah, yeah. It, it was good, though. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I want to see that. You know, I didn't realize all that stuff. some old memories. And, it. <laughs> and it's funny, like, you can see stuff. Like, like, they would show stuff from games, and, like, they would show just, like, stuff like that that you've already seen the game. You already know how it went. But, like, you find yourself, like, years later, it's like over 10 years later, still really kind of going through some of those same emotions yeah. and just like feeling good and feeling happy and euphoric and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah it definitely made me more ready for football season because I yeah. was kind of, I'm not going to say I was down on football season, but like I just hadn't been as focused as I used to be like maybe a few years ago on like football yeah. season. Um, and then this year, I don't expect us to be like world beaters or anything like that. I expect us to be better than what people think we're going to be. But I don't think we're going to be world beaters, anything like that. And so, like, yeah. watching that documentary, though, just got me really pumped. Though I had to t I tell I was telling my, one of my buddies, I was like, man, like, this documentary ain't doing me no favors because now I got to, like, consciously adjust my expectations because I, I, I was feeling like that winning energy. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just, just want to win. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I'm thinking I'm saying boat, man. It's like you're optimistic, you, but I think deep down it's like we're still they're still building, you know, so I'm not expecting a lot, but um you know i definitely want to watch that because you know you and i are roughly the same age same era we saw that stuff but and i was like i didn't know a lot of that was going on i mean you got you're more well connected to you know university of florida than me so you had a lot more insight as to what was going on but yeah some of that was a big surprise but yeah it was a different time you know it was it was uh it was a lot going on but no i definitely i'm going to yeah. catch that because i've been i was looking forward to seeing it you know and I mean, if you were a fan in Florida, you remember everything that was going on. It seems like all Florida teams go through something. You know, Hurricanes had their thing. Gators had their Seminoles. Always something happening with a Florida team, you know. It's oh, never yeah. just cut and dry. There's always something. Oh, yeah. That's what makes it fun, though. Yeah, yeah it does. It does. <laughs> yeah, you, when you watch it, you definitely have to let me know what you think. I will. Yeah, I'll see you. Um, I'm sure I'll see you at the uh, Tampa show, probably the next show that I'll see you at, right? When is, when is the Tampa show? 
I believe it's in November. Usually they in do November. it November and then uh, Orlando is December and then they do a follow-up uh, Tampa in February and then in Orlando. They, they do an Orlando show in December, January, and then a November and February Tampa. They're pretty, pretty close. So yeah, okay. I'll probably see you there. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely make it to at least one of those, if not both. Okay. But if, if Tampa is in November, it might be a conflict because I know November – Fourth, think yeah. November fourth, we'll be going to uh to Justin's facility for okay. like that, uh Patreon tour. Okay, and oh, then cool. in December for sure though. Um, I'll be in Orlando. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'd be a fun trip. You can probably pick up a lot of a lot of good tips there. You know, he's he runs a pretty tight ship there. So yeah, it'll be nice to see it. Um, I wanted to go last year, but I had a work conflict, so I couldn't make it. Okay, so definitely looking forward to uh, catching oh. it uh, this year. That's going to be my tenly. <laughs> okay and i've never been there uh but I, I can imagine when you leave that place your mind's gone a million miles an hour projects and just everything oh, yeah. going on and you better be careful driving home let her drive home because you're <laughs> focused on the road yeah you better, better let somebody else drive because you're gonna be all kinds of thoughts going through your head of projects and this and that because i'm sure you'll see stuff that you probably don't see online so i'm yeah oh yeah yeah i can't wait man i cannot yeah. wait that's exciting this should be pretty fun yeah. So before I let you get out of here, man, uh, I do have some wrap up questions for you. Sure. And so the first one, these are random questions. So if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Ooh, that'd be a tough one. Um, ooh, I, I would say uh, one of my friends, I've been traveled a lot overseas, but um, he loves Indonesia. He's been all over the place. So I think because of the islands, the monitors, the, you know, just such a close, like kind of like a close knit, like fishing villages, I guess I would like that. I'd like to just take a step away. I'd say probably because for me, it would have to be somewhere that's reptile friendly too, you know? So I think Indonesia would be a pretty cool place. Um, just from friends of mine that have been there, they all said the same thing. It's really a cool, cool country, just thousands of islands scattered out. Um, and that would be for me, nonstop exploring, you know, island to island, you know, and I like to fish, I like the ocean. So I think that would be probably somewhere I could disappear to and be happy. Nice. That's yeah. dope. That's dope. Yeah. All right. So next one, if you want $10 million tomorrow, how would you use it? Uh, I would definitely have a, a, a different reptile facility than I got now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'd be on the hunt for property. You know, I'd have just different enclosure. I have probably a lot of the same animals I'd already have, you know, but uh, it would be basically a private zoo, my own private zoo and for my friends, nice. you know, so I, that's what I would have, you know, so I would honestly, I thought about that. Like, what if I had to hit the lottery? I'd reach out to friends of mine that works at zoos and find out, you know, who builds all these enclosures. And I would have a zoo quality set up, you know, for my non-ball python stuff, just for myself to enjoy. So that's what I would do for sure. It'd be animal related. Everything would be animal related for sure. That'd be dope. That'd be real dope. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah. That'd be yeah. a good time. All right. And so if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive, who would it be and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I never really thought about that. Um, ooh, yeah, I don't know. So inside or outside, I guess the reptile world doesn't matter right here. It just could be anybody. Um, anybody. Free for all. Yeah, that's a tough one, man. I don't know. I always liked watching Muhammad Ali. I think he'd be a fun person to sit down with and talk to, um, hang out. Because he, he's funny and just you know some of the stuff he's been through and the places he's traveled. Um, growing up in the eighties, you know, nineties, 
Eddie Murphy stand up to me was always the best, <laughs> man. I, I know hanging out with him, you know, or Jim Carrey will be a lot of fun sitting down, eating dinner, drinking beer, and just making fun of people. I think one or two of those guys would be cool. Um, I'm trying to think of who else has traveled around. Uh, that's a tough one, man. I don't know. I guess if Steve Irwin was still alive, it would be cool to travel around with him without the cameras just to see and explore and stuff like that. You know, he, he put reptiles kind of on the map more so than anybody else. People, and it was sure. weird because when he died, I serviced a lot of accounts. I work for an alcohol company and a lot of my accounts, my store owners that were from the Middle East, you know, uh, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and India, I didn't know they really watched him. You know, I didn't know that. But when he died, like they were heartbroken. Like, oh, you watched him all the time. So he he touched people all over the world, not just us or people from Australia. I mean, people that I didn't think would watch his show, people that I know were afraid of snakes would still tune into him. So he would probably be somebody to sit down with and talk to. And um, I think that would be pretty cool, you know, to uh, without the cameras, like I said, just travel around and maybe I think he'd be a fun guy to hang out with, you know, someone that'd be fun to hang out with. So I guess it'd be, Eddie Murphy, Muhammad Ali, and Steve Irwin. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. All at the same time, it would, it would be a pretty interesting road trip. You know, we were all going to Tilly together. That'd be right. a fun one. But, uh, that would be pretty cool, walking in with those guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You'd be the star of the what show. What about you? Who would you want to sit and talk with? So, uh, Tupac. Okay. Yeah, like, hands down, yeah. like, that's my favorite, like, artist of all time. Like, for so many different reasons, right? Yeah. And. I mean, I grew up a bit Tupac fan. I've always remained a bit Tupac fan. Like, and so like hands down, uh Tupac. Uh Malcolm X is another one. Okay. And reason being is just because like I don't know if you've ever like watched a movie or read the autobiography, but like he just he grew so much in such a short time. And he was just like on like a completely, totally opposite side of the spectrum. And so just really to be able to pick his brain and just kind of like talk about like what was going through his head at these different pieces of his life and to like really be able to just like drill down to some of that and like learn from some of that, that would be a good one. And then who else? I've said Kobe before, but definitely my grandma as well. Okay. Uh, So she died when I was nine years old. Uh, She died from cancer um, when I was pretty um, young. And that was like, I mean, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, you can't replace that. And it's just one of those things where like, I wish she would have been able to see like a lot of the things that like, I wish she would be able to see my kids. I wish she would be able to meet my wife. Like, I mean, I was just like so young and it was just like way too soon. So Okay. Yeah. It's like, like, I, I didn't really know my, uh, my grandfather well at all. Similar situation. He passed away when I was very young, you know? So yeah, it's, you, I'm sure you do. You want to see the successes you've had, where you're going, everything, you know? So those are, those are good choices, but now I'm with you. My last podcast, they were asking me about, uh, rappers and I'm like, Tupac was my first choice. I'm like, come on, is there really any, anybody else? I mean, <laughs> we, I think we grew up in a good time for music in general in the nineties. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you like grunge, you had Nirvana, you had the, to me, some of the best rap came in that era. Um, we had everything back then. Now I just, I can't relate to this now. I just listen to the, you know, the older rap from like late eighties to mid nineties, you know, for me anyway. So that's what I, yeah, I still listen to all the old stuff, yeah. like, like his yeah. new stuff, like all the time. Like 
I become that guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because my niece is younger, different generation, and, and I got Sirius Satellite in my truck, and we're going. And I have the um, uh, Rock the Bells, L Cool J's Rock the Bells on there, and I put it on there, and I'm like, this is what this is what we need to listen to, not this other stuff. She's like, who is that? And so I'll make her listen to that stuff, you know. And I'm like, this is when rap was real rap, you know, because uh, I like that era, you know. But uh, yeah, now it's just I, I'm like, if I can't listen to this this stuff, man. But you're right. To me, he he was he was he was. He was a very talented individual on a lot of levels from the movies he was in to his lyrics. You know, he was, he was one of my favorite rappers of the time too, you know, but. And there was like so much emotion po- yeah. poured into those lyrics. Like it's. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And, and you, you felt like he, it was him telling you that not someone else writing it and is him performing, you know I mean? That, that right. was, that was him. So. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, that, I agree. That was a good time for that kind of that music, you know. So yeah, but, uh, yeah. I really missed that era. That was that was for was me the best era of music, like yeah. hands down. It's not even close in my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. And I know in Daytona they have the uh, Rockville every year, you know. And to get hundred to one hundred fifty thousand people to go, you know, they're not new performers. They got to tap into the old school people to go there because that's the only performers that can fill, you know, Daytona Speedway. So, you know, I kind of look back I mean, my friends my age were talking about that. I'm like, look back at where they have to pull these artists from because that's where they were the most popular. You get people from the, you know, the mid to early 90s, you had everything you wanted. I mean, you know, aside from rap, if you like Metallica, Guns N' Roses, there was so many bands at the time that were doing well. Um, and you don't have that now. Like, I don't think you could fill a massive venue like that with multiple bands. It's just, it's just different. But that whole era, you know, was a really good era for music, no matter what you like. You know, if you like country, yeah. it was probably some good country there too at the time. You know, but um, you know, I think we kind of grew up in a good time when, it, at least when it came to that. So. Yeah, I remember feeling like you had to choose between Pac and Biggie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, yeah, I I know. Know. but you felt like you had to choose. You did. <laughs> Yeah, you did. You're right. Yeah, you kind of had to get into that too. No, you're right. You're right. You kind of did at the time, but I don't know, like, like Tupac better. But um, say again. We always kind of like you know Tupac better. You know. Yeah, yeah. Little yeah. Troy came on, liked him, and I, I just kind of like that whole that era. You know, but um, yeah, it was, it was Big it was is nice time. though. Big is really nice. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some videos of him, um, like when he was in his mid to late teens on the street. You know, just like freestyle rapping, it's just it's amazing. That, that dude was smart because how do you do like nothing was written down, he wasn't reading off anything, he was just all in his head. I, I could never do that, you know. But yeah, uh, big, yeah, nice, was back then. yeah, nice flow, like just a good voice for being like an MC. Like it was just it was dope, yeah, yeah. yeah that kind of I think that era pushed you know rap music into the forefront more, you know, more so. I think it attracted a new group of listeners that probably maybe weren't listening before, so. It kind of did. It launched, I think, you know, rap more into mainstream, you know, with those guys. And like I said, you had him and the West Coast guys and, you know, Public Enemy and, you know, Florida, we had two live crew. And, you know, that was something. I remember, I remember high school on the bus having my little cassette player with my little two live crew tape and praying to nobody because, you know, they would take it away from you back then. But I remember mm-hmm. that as bad as nasty as they wanted to be. And I remember listening to that on the bus and we were all listening to it like, we never heard that before. <laughs> Definitely not in music at all. But uh, yeah, that was our claim to fame in Florida was two live crew. <laughs> Man. Ah, that was some good. That was a good time. Yeah, because I was too young too to be listening to it, but oh, right, I was yeah. definitely sneaking you listen to it. Though. Oh yeah, and we had to hide it from our parents. We don't want them yeah. finding it, you know. So yeah, that was uh, that that was something because we could listen to 
you know, the Eddie Murphy stand-ups because that was funny. But, boy, that, that two live crew went to a whole new level. <laughs> My parents found out about that. They, they would have thrown that tape away. I paid a lot of money for that, you know, that cassette back then. So, uh, but, yeah. Yeah, it was such a guilty pleasure. It was. <laughs> yeah. I'm about to throw that on Spotify today. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I still hear it sometimes because on uh, Rock the Bells, they play some of that. You know, I'm like, whoo, I haven't heard that one in a while. But if I got my niece with me, I got to turn that one. I won't hear this or that, you know. But, uh, yeah, that brings back some memories of hearing that. That's what I think about being on the school bus, having my cassette player at the time. It was the size of a toaster, you know, holds a little tape. but. Um, you know, that that's here and that brings me back to when I was, you know, junior high on a school bus listening to that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I didn't even really start thinking about like how explicit the lyrics were, like in yeah. some of the music I listened to, like when I really like first, like cared about it was when I had kids. Okay. And then like, they would be in the car and I would have it on and something <laughs> would be said. I'm like, I, I probably should turn this one off. Turn that one off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't have a lot of boundaries, you know, man. They, right. It was, it was like. You know, like it was okay for me to do this as a kid, but it's yeah, not okay for them to not do this. That, yeah, Jack, <laughs> exactly. I know it's definitely ironic, you know. And I was a right. kid, I right, let's do it, no big deal. But and I was actually younger than she is now in there, so it was you know really ironic. You know, I think about that. Well, damn, I was listening to it when I was younger, but I don't want her to hear that, you know. But right, but yeah, that was that was fun. I was different, you know. We hadn't heard that before, so that was uh, that was a that was a little bit shocking to hear that, you know, coming out of a tape, but. <laughs> good old days <laughs> fun times man it was. fun times all right bro so this has been a really cool episode man yeah. i really appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight it really means a lot like you're a wealth of knowledge and definitely hoping we can get around two with you one day yeah absolutely man thanks for having me on i appreciate it you know, i'm glad we crossed paths in tampa and you know hung out and we'll definitely do that again i mean that's that's going to be our you know, our group's dance card now every time we go there is to hit that spot, all hang out. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be able to, you know, carve out the time and help you out and, you know, just kind of talk and learn. You know, I'm, I'm here to learn too. I don't know everything. I've made mistakes and I still feel like every year I learn or do something a little different. <clears throat> As I tell people, the more you hatch, the more you're going to learn, you know, one way or the other. So, um, you know, I don't never mind sharing information that I've accumulated over the years the good and the bad you know there's some things i've done i'll never do again and some things i still have been doing for the last 20 25 years i still work and i don't i don't get away from it if it works so um yeah anytime yes, sir yes sir man yeah. definitely every time i talk to you it's a pleasure man yeah. and like Thanks. i said man, I, I learned a ton from you your wealth and knowledge i really appreciate your willingness to share um absolutely Cool. So uh, everyone who's checking this out, as you know, this is a pre-recorded episode. So really appreciate everybody coming through, everyone who comes through and sees the premiere or everyone who catches the replay after that. Make sure you show the channel some love. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell so you can get notifications every time we drop a video. Be sure to follow George everywhere. All of his links are in the description of this video. Definitely go out and show our sponsors support. Uh, show our sponsors some support. Their links are in the description of this video. Definitely be sure to check us out next week. Check us out on the audio-only uh, version of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Uh, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? I would say a couple things. You know, just you know, keep watching Herb Collectors. You know, you're doing a great thing. You're bringing people together that maybe otherwise wouldn't cross paths. Um, go to shows, talk to people, but you know, just keep watching. 
um, you know, you're, you're doing a good thing. You're bringing good people on. you got a good environment. It's good networking. Um, so, yeah, just just keep watching and, you know, just keep watching Mike. He's bringing good guests on and just uh, hope they'll help out and everybody can learn a little bit from watching. Appreciate it, bro. Really appreciate it. it. Yeah, no problem, dude. Thank you all for coming out. Be blessed. Peace.